Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. And I'm Phil Wolf of the Nefers Initiative. This is the Herpeticulture Podcast, which is part of the Herpeticulture Network. Enjoy the show. Rock and roll. Let's kick the tires and light the fires. Greetings. Salutations. This is episode 113, right? Yes, 113. 113 of the Culture Podcast, which is part of the Herpeticulture Network. I am Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. And I am Phil Wolf of the Nefers Initiative. And we're joined tonight by Derek Dykstra. Yeah. In the flesh. And uh, the show is, is brought to you by MP Cages and Exotics. So if you need a cage, you need a rack, like I do, Sean's the guy to hit up. And then get you some hot sauce from Steve Snake Sanctuary. Mark Hager got him some hot sauce. And even, did you see the picture that he posted on his story of like all the, he bought all the hot sauces Steve sells? No, I missed it. And he put them in a picture with a, one of his chondros like in the cage and stuff. Nice. It's, it's pretty cool. So. He got that uh, that out. one that we haven't had yet, that anti venom. That's supposedly, uh, I think, like the hottest one out of all of them, and I still I haven't tried it yet. I need to. I need to get get my hands on some. All right. So, um, 113 episodes deep. Deep. Just before we were recording, we were contemplating the whole beaded lizard situation and what I need to do for caging and stuff, and it's it's tough. Because I want to give them something uh, proper. Yeah, you want a cage deserving of their magistry. But I also know they may not exactly use everything. So that is true. Finding that I'm sweet just, spot. I'm just happy you're getting them. I'm, I'm I know excited. Derek's happy you're getting them. I'm very I don't, excited. I don't know when it's going to be. By the end of the year, we'll see. I mean, I'm just. It's all right. I'm trying to figure out how to the logistics of it now and figuring you got, out. You got time to prep. You're good. Yeah. No rush. And it's not. It's not like you don't know anyone who's kept them before. So you're in business. Yeah. You know. Well, that's what's frustrating. Is like the things you read. Like I'm in the Hela. There's a hemoderma. Uh, oh my gosh, a hemoderma group that I'm in, and I've done some searching. Here's here's a really cool fun fact about Facebook and groups. Before you ask a question, there's a little magnifying glass and a search function and you can search up a question and i guarantee you it's already been asked in that group and that's what i did because that was when i was thinking i was under the impression it was the exasperatum it's not it's just the horridum horridum and uh like i can go on that group and search up and see answers of people that have asked that same question and they pop up right there and so instead of having to ask again and drive people crazy we don't have to see the same question every other day right Shocking, <laughs> and it's not even hard to use. Um, but you see, like conflicting things, like we were talking about. There's some people that keep them in in very minimal, you know, mm-hmm. bare minimum size wise, and then there's people that are like give them a corner of a room. Which there was a guy actually in that group who built straight up built like a corner of his garage. It was huge. Nice. I was like, that's wow. awesome. Like that would be oh, really yeah. cool if you had it decked out with like big palms and stuff like that, and you know, so kind of at that point where I want the best of both worlds if such a thing existed but yeah we'll see it, it's funny I uh it's funny you mentioned that whole search thing in the group because like I just learned recently 
how to like post a article or something to multiple groups at once. And I was like, this is amazing. This oh is yeah. 21st century. Right. <laughs> and upon doing that, I started like looking at all the little icons and you know how you drag your mouse over and it tells you what it does. Yeah. I felt mm-hmm. like such a friggin' boomer because I'm literally going over every single one. I'm like, what does that do? What does that do? What? And, uh, you know, I'm compiling this, uh, this Rinkal's database of pictures, right? So I'm in a bunch nice. of uh, Snake ID groups on Facebook from Africa, like mm-hmm. every country you can think of that has fucking Wi-Fi. And, uh, <laughs> and I literally was just like, Rinkal's. And it's like 25 photos. I'm like, mm-hmm. yes. Rinkal's. Another 30 photos. I'm like, yes. So the problem Isn't it is... fun putting that together? It's, There's like this weird, like, yeah. where's Waldo kind of like finding and adding it, like Pokemon cards or something. You like find a picture of a rink that's from this X section and you put it in its folder with that location. And it's like, got right. another one, got another one. Cause I did well, that with Baird's Derek. I don't know if I should sent that link to you or not, but yeah, yeah, you did. Okay. It's pretty yeah. sweet. So that's where I got the idea. Right. And the problem is, is that a lot of the people that are, that are posting in these snake ID groups, they're awesome because they're saying, you know, it was in, Pretoria on 133rd street. Like, okay. So like that gives me an idea of like what locality I'm working with, but a lot of them are just like in blah, 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 free state. And I'm like, I go on Google earth and I'm like, that's not free state. That's still like Joe bird proper. Like, and I'm wondering Mm -hmm. like, is there two names? So I've got like a folder that's like, I don't really know where it's from. (laughs) Then I've got folders. That's like, well, these are juvenile colors, but we don't know what it's Mm going to turn into. So it, I'm staying up till like one or two in the morning, just staring at other people's snake pictures and I'm really enjoying it, but I'm kind of depressed because that's what my life has become. The things we do for snakes, man. The things we do oh, for but snakes. It's cool because you do see like the trends of the ones from mm-hmm. this sort of general direction of their range tend to look like this. And oh, over, yeah. like, the more you do it, the more you see these patterns. Yeah. Yeah. And, I think and like better at, especially if you're focused on one species, it makes you better at, at, sort of yeah. mastering them in a sense, I guess, not in the keeping it, it, but just the general knowledge, especially when you're dealing with a lot of imports, like a lot of us do. And it's oh, like, yeah. like, okay, you know, you're looking at the classic argument of chondros of, well, mm. did it really come from Jayapura or was that just where it's exported from? Right. But now with Facebook and these like snake ID groups and stuff, it's like, okay, I've learned that if, if it's, a wrinkles from Gotang province proper, like within the districts, right? I know it's not going to be banded. So if someone says, oh, this is a banded and it's from Pretoria, well, they're full of crap because that <laughs> animal does not exist there naturally. Now, it could be very well be that someone caught it and moved it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Which does happen a lot. But I just like the fact that, and the same thing with you and the bear, it's like, you know what it's supposed to look like. And that is I'm knowledge. getting there. You're getting there. So I'm getting there. I don't I don't know anything. I can do this like with, with the rings, it's probably a little easier. With the bears, it's like silver and orange, a lot of silver and orange, a little silver and orange, no orange, yeah. a ton of silver, no silver. Like yeah. and then there's just so I'm much saying. sort of intercrossing. Like it's not so cut and dry with the with the, the range and stuff. Like they do sort of fade mm. into each other, and so it's you have to kind of know the geography first of all of like the area you're looking at, like the different parts of you know South Africa and whatnot. Uh, yeah, and then it's sort of a learning to associate, and that's why I like I want to find some way to make like a quiz thing 
online. I'm sure there's like a quiz maker where you can upload pictures and like just quiz myself, like put the pictures and then put the county and then, you know, just Quizlet, man. For, for fun, you know, and that's I mean, that's what I used to do with scientific names in school. I used to write them on index cards, you know, mm -hmm. common on the front, scientific on the back. And I just sit in class and just quiz myself all day long. Fucking nerd. Yeah, dude. Everyone's <laughs> like, what are you doing? So I got a, I got a great story since we're on that topic. So when I was young, uh, in my late teens, early 20s, well, let me rephrase that. I had to have been over 21 because we were drinking. Um, oh, boy. <laughs> I had to be over 21, right? Because nobody drinks before they're 21. Oh, um, yeah, of course. And uh, I was just getting into the whole taxonomy thing. And I just fi I was finally working a lot with my late mentor, who was a Latin nerd. And uh, I was at the bar with one of my snake buddies, Zach. And we were, we were hammered. It was like a pool hall bar, right? And they had these old crappy stools that just kind of migrated around the bar, right? And uh, some of them were by the pool table, some were at the actual bar. But I remember, you know, like on the top of a pool table, there's those three lamps that hang, mm -hmm. right? So we're standing around the pool table. I don't even think we're, we're playing pool. We're just drinking beer and we're sitting on these stools. And we were talking about snakes. And I said, Zach, I can't for the life of me remember the genus of king snakes. He's like, dude, it's Lampropeltis. And I was like, I know, but like, I just, it always eludes me. Like, and it was part of the conversation. It wasn't just some weird ass thought. And he's like, I got a way for you to remember. You'll never forget Lampropeltis. He says, Lamp Propeltis. He says, Lamp. And he points at the lamp above the pool table and he says, Peltis. And he grabs the leather stool and proceeds to rip the leather off the top of the stool <laughs> and holds it up and says, Look, it's a pelt. That's lamp nice. propeltus. And, nice. and, and we didn't get kicked out of the bar, which is crazy. He just kind of like draped it back <laughs> over and we went about our business. But I'll never forget that. So, yeah. There's index cards and then there's drunken debauchery. There you go. Yeah, Whatever this was, works. This was long before I was 21. This was like fifth and sixth grade. Oh, they're going to be like, I was 18. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yep. I was mm -hmm. 19. At the register at Walgreens, just reading flashcards. <laughs> That's adorable. Oh. So, on to business. Yeah. Derek. It's been a while since we had you on, man. It, was, it has it was, been a while, man. I, I'm, gonna I'm say it was, honored to be here with the wolf. I have to look. Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, what's what's new since since your last... Guesting a, a lot, man. A lot is new. Um, I think last time I was on, I was still in the firearms business, and I am now full time with the Rattlesnake Conservancy. And uh, man, things have been blowing up. It's been really cool. Um, as you know, we've been working on getting a facility up and running, and we are very, very close for that. Um, I finally have an office space. We got that knocked out, so it's nice to actually be able to go to an office and get work done because. I don't know about y'all, but working from home is not cutting. It's it for hard, me. man. It's yeah. tough. Like you really so have to have real. a lot of self-discipline to to yep. do it and be productive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was really rough. Especially, I left Bass Pro and started with TRC full time the same time Leanne and I had our daughter. So we had a newborn in the house. I was mm -hmm. trying to work from home. It was just it was wild, man. But. But yeah, so full-time TRC, my official title is Director of Education and Collections Manager. So I get to do all the fun stuff, education programs, working with the little kiddos, and then also in charge of our collection and managing that and taking care of everything. 
Um, so still working on the display wall. We've got all the enclosures in, um, and they are from Herptastic. And so far, I got them finished today. Very, very happy with them. Awesome. Um, yeah, so now we're working on our secondary containment because state of Florida and the way the building's set up is really weird. So where our display room is, we're at the second floor in like a pyramid building. So our room doesn't have a ceiling. So we have had to create a false wall to put the enclosures in. And essentially for that secondary containment, we are having to put kind of like big cabinet doors that lock in the middle and then they just open and close. So we'll have these huge cabinet doors and then locked enclosures on the inside that we can access individually. So it's been a process. Um, I got into this to work with snakes and teach people. I didn't know I would be doing carpentry, construction, accounting, yeah. Oh, yeah. everything else that goes along with it. <laughs> Baptism um, by fire. It, yeah, no kidding. It's It's been a pretty cool experience. I feel like I'll be able to run my own nonprofit after all this, but it's cool, man. I really, really look forward to it. Like I said, the enclosures are put together, uh, waiting to finish up our secondary containment, and then hopefully we can pester FWC enough to get our permit expedited and get that process so we can have a grand opening event awesome. awesome oh yeah yeah i looked it up so it was march 26th last year it's been almost a year nice so. <clears throat> good stuff yeah i mean the whole like trial by fire with learning things on the job uh i mean that's how i learned pretty much all the magazine stuff all the social media yeah. stuff everything was just i had this job where I mean, there was like four of us working for this like marketing firm, which ended up mm -hmm. turning into like a publishing business. And it was like, hey, you know how to build WordPress websites? No. Okay. Well, <laughs> do it. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It sounds really Literally familiar. just learning on the job. But I think that's yep. almost the best way to do it because that you retain that information so much better, especially when you have to continue to oh, do yeah. that with other other clients and projects and stuff so oh yeah no i agree 100 percent, man i was i got to the point where i was so sick and tired of working retail just because it was it was, it was really weighing me down mm -hmm. and uh it got to the point where trc could afford uh some paid staff and as soon as that was offered to me i was like i'm not even going to question this this is what i've been wanting to do for years now so i took it and the way we're set up, uh, Tony, our executive director, the guy who started it all, he has a full-time job working for the federal government. And then our Southeast regional director, she only technically works part-time. So I'm the only full-time employee. So it's been, uh, it's been a lot, <laughs> but it's, I've enjoyed it so far. So what's, I mean, how long have they been working on the, the facility? I mean, that's a fairly recent decision on the organization's part, right? Yep. Yep. Um, so it's funny how that all came together. So we teach our venomous handling courses and um, thanks to our regional director, Tiffany, she hooked us up to host a course at this nature center in Jacksonville, the Tree Hill Nature Center. Mm -hmm. um, so we did a class there. Some of the staff uh, took it at a discounted rate and we, you know, chummed it up with them, got buddy buddy, and they were really looking and wanting to have like some native venomous snakes on display. So we kind of saw an opportunity and our missions really aligned and it just kind of blew up from there. And it's blossomed into this awesome partnership where we're doing like our summer camp programs there. Pretty much all of our venomous courses are done there and we've leased out the office space, display space. So we really started 
renovations in September, this past September. Mm -hmm. and yeah, and we've been booking along. So the first thing was getting the office set up so we have an official workspace and then right. just trucking away at that display room. Because before we took it over, you know, they had all these tables in there, wallpaper. They had it set up as kind of like a, a lab classroom type deal. So we mm -hmm. gutted all that out and pretty much started from the ground up. So it's been a, it's been a, it seems like it's been a long process, but I think that's just because we're so close. Yeah, to being finished with on. it, man. Yeah, I'm doing doing that on top of everything else, you know, it's oh yeah, for sure. Gets chaotic for sure. It does, but I'm excited to get these enclosures ready, have the inspector come approve anything, everything, and then try and get my hand on some croats, man. Now, do you, I mean, is it harder for an organization? To, to as far as like with FWC and stuff, do they is it a more strict sort of, of things guidelines that you have to get approved, you know, as opposed to like private sector stuff? Or I don't think so. I think honestly, I think it depends on your inspector. Um, regulations mm -hmm. are the same across the board, but uh, it just depends on the investigator in your area that's assigned to you. Um, our guy, I have a good relationship with. He's fairly new and. Uh, He's been pretty helpful with everything thus far, um, but yeah, there's nothing nothing really extra that we need to be worried about. Um, thankfully, I've had some of the best mentors that I could have asked for, so everything we're going to do is perfect to a T, no question. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it'll be good, man. What species are you planning on getting? So, yeah, so right now um, we're going to have all of the uh, native vipers of florida so coppers cottonmouths all three of the rattlesnakes um just because i have the elapid hours but i don't have the elapid permit just because i finished those hours after i'd already put in for the vapira permit mm -hmm. but coral snakes as we all know don't do great in captivity and they're a horrible yeah. display species so we're not really worried about that but uh we'll have the the native pit vipers from florida and then I'm looking to get some some desert southwest stuff. So I want to get like some Mojaves, Aatrox. I'd like to get like a, a Cerberus, maybe some of the smaller, more montane species. Of course, it'd be awesome to have like a nice white or blue speck. Yeah. But we're going to have a total, if I remember correctly, uh, it's going to be 16 enclosures. So we've got space to fill. So it'll be cool. Excellent. Excellent. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's good, man. I love it. Yeah, we were just talking about the best and worst crotalus on snakes and stogies last yep. episode. Yep. I, I, I usually catch up the next day while I'm at work mm -hmm. or on the drive to work, so I did I did catch that. <laughs> so what's, what's your best and worst croat? Oh, man. I love them all, dude. <laughs> as, no, far well, as, right. as far as what I've had the opportunity to work with thus far, I will say... Big pun. Oh, dude! I, we don't even touch that snake. <laughs> he is. No, I don't know if Phil man. ever saw him. I didn't. What oh, is it? Dude. A Jurassic? Or no, it's a green. It's a basilisk. Uh, uh, no, it's not. It's the uh, Melusis nigrisens. It's the Mexican oh. blacktail. Dude, oh. this thing is freaking huge. Huge, dude, huge. I'll find a picture of it and send it to you. Like that thing is, you see that thing in person, and that thing makes some big gaboons look like mm -hmm. freaking chihuahuas. <laughs> like that. Yeah, that's, that's an impressive snake. Yeah, but I will say, out of out of all the croats I've been able to work with thus far, the neonate marulus have been 
really stressful for me just because they don't want to take rodents. So it's just been the constant process of, okay, I'll throw in an anole and then like, well, all right, we'll try rodents this go around and they just don't want to mm-hmm. take. So just from the picky feeder standpoint, that's been the biggest hurdle for me. But aside from that, man, I just, I want to get my hands on all of them. I actually thought uh, when, when you were doing all your construction, I was like, man, they should try and do like a St. Augustine thing and get every species. That's the end goal. That that's, is definitely that's, the end yeah. goal. I mean, because like, let's be real. There's a lot of subspecies. There's a lot of locality phenotypes. But mm-hmm. if you got one of every primary species, that would be, I don't think anyone in the world has that, right? Not to my knowledge. That would be pretty, pretty impressive. Yeah. I mean, are you talking about oh, just yeah. like North American stuff? Or are, you, are we including like Mexico and... No, no I'm saying all, yeah, all rattlesnakes. Okay. Like one of every one of every species of rattlesnake. Yeah, no that uh, the uh, so we know that where we're at right now with the nature center, that's just you know we got this set up to get our our feet wet with running our own facility and how it's going to operate. Eventually, you know we want to move on to bigger, more exciting things to house more animals. And yeah, long term, that's that's the goal. We want to be able to display every species. Me, I part of my internship couple of years back when I was just getting my feet wet, wet with the organization is I actually compiled a list of at the time every described species and subspecies of rattlesnake so now that I have that list I'm like all right I want to get this I want to get this <laughs> and some some of the stuff man you never like I personally had never heard of like one of my favorites that I allude to all the time is the El Muerto Island rattlesnake literally the the dead island rattlesnake and I'd never heard of that before and there's just a bunch like that so I think that that would be awesome. Very cool. Very cool. Mm. Ever since we were talking about Eastern Diamondbacks over the weekend, it uh, I don't know. I keep thinking about them. Like, there's nothing more badass than just a big, giant Eastern man. Yeah. Impressive, impressive snakes. I mean, I'll never forget because I've been doing this since – 2017 but i also didn't get into reptiles until 2017 and i remember sitting down and one of my mentors being like all right you need to watch the venom interviews from front front to back and uh carl barden and some of the other guys on there talked about terry phillip i believe was another one how a big eastern diamondback is one of the snakes if not the snake they consider the most intimidating to work with and here i am going to my mentor's house working with 20 30 of big <laughs> eastern diamond packs. Yeah. So it's it's pretty cool, man. Yeah. Personally, I'm hoping to get my hands on a lot of EDBs because I feel like that's one species you don't see available as uh captive born captive born and yeah, no. I don't understand why, man. Yeah. It's it, it, I think it comes down to it too is it they don't they don't breed until mm-hmm. I feel like they don't breed until they're ready. Like like yeah. you've got snakes that okay, you say they're ready and you make mm-hmm. them do it or you convince them to do it. But I really feel like Easterns are one of those snakes where it's like, I'm not ready to do this. I'm not, I'm not, yeah. I'm not set. But I actually was gifted a pair of head albinos in 2020. Nice. And they both passed. And it's oh, just man. like, yeah, it's just it, the, the babies I think are tougher than people think. Mm-hmm. Um, because um, I've had a lot of baby rattlesnakes over the years, man, but yeah easterns for me they just i just couldn't get it down pat with babies adults sure mm-hmm. wild caught stuff, said, sure. I mean, what, what was the 
what was the frustration? Like what was causing the problems? Um, I honestly, no, I think this particular scenario with these head albinos, I think it was stress because mm -hmm. I set them up in a bomb ass naturalistic enclosure. And like, I stole, yeah. I stole little bulbs of palmetto scrub from like the yeah, neighborhood nice. and like planted it out. And I think it was cause I kept them together. I think they stressed themselves mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. I think that's what it was. So who knows? Okay. Yeah, no, I, that's something that I, I still struggle with because I'll I'll get snakes in or I, I'll have snakes that are on the younger or smaller side. And I'm like, all right, I want to get you out of this tub and put you in a nice naturalistic setup that is usually too big. And it's just, you know, one of those things you got to got to kind of find that balance as, as much as I want to see this snake every day. It doesn't always benefit that snake for me to be able to look at it every day. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons it works so well for P and Cody is because they're they're using they're not oversized but they're they're bigger enclosures and they're so packed out with stuff. Oh yeah, like there's oh, no yeah. way that snake's gonna feel insecure, especially those mm -hmm. bilineata. Like, oh god, no way, man! When those things pop babies, I ask Cody every time he shows me pictures. <laughs> I'm like, how do you make sure you even found them all, dude? Yeah, exactly. They're so small and there's so much pothos and stuff growing in that tank. Mm -hmm. No way you don't throughout the week go. Oh, there's another one I missed. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, it's, there's it's another insane. one. It's crazy. Yeah, the, who was asking? Who was asking us about live bearing species? And was it on snakes and stogies? Somebody asked us, like, oh, you know, how do you not go in that cage every single time, terrified that there's babies? <laughs> and I, I, I come to think of it, I, I obviously you know the females gravid. You're gonna see her, you know. Mm -hmm. It's not like she, it's not like one of these crazy women that poops out a baby on the toilet, you know? Oh, I had no idea I was pregnant. No, you're going to know that your yeah. squam has tripled in size, right? Yeah. Uh, but that's got to be one of those things. Cause like I've always removed the female and put her in almost a sterile enclosure just so mm -hmm. it's easy cleanup, you know? Mm -hmm. That makes sense. But th those bilineatists, geez. Oh, dude. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. Like, and the, the one that double clutched or had, had two litters this past year it was just totally unexpected obviously great surprise but mm -hmm. it was totally wild and then like the male he's like yeah i'll see the male maybe every every couple months he'll yeah. come out when he's hungry <laughs> I don't, that's wild. one of my favorite species that they have though that's, that's yeah i don't know i'm always a sucker for like the smaller stuff mm -hmm. you know? and those those are just cool and every time i was there taking pictures those were always like the most photogenic out of pretty nice. much everything you know yeah Especially in the like the back room, uh, like in the condro with the condro perches, basically, and they just sit mm -hmm. there. so heck yeah. yeah. I had something rattlesnake related I was going to talk about <laughs> the uh, yeah the I've, so I've seen the classes that, mm -hmm. that TRC offers. I know there's uh, there are three levels. Yep. So uh, this year we actually implemented a, a new course. So in years prior, we've had the level one and the level two course. Level one is by far our most popular. It's really taken off. And it's mm -hmm. a two day, level one's a two day course. First day is all classroom material. So we go into uh, native venomous snakes of that area, whether we're in Florida, Arizona, Georgia, wherever. Native venomous. Then we'll go into anatomy and physiology, fang structure, venom toxinology, emergency management of snake bite. Um, we'll get into captive keeping. Then we'll also get into like disease transmission and different pathogens, relocation, uh, medical and sample collection techniques. So it's a ton of information packed into 
that first day. Um, but it's a lot of really good information that, you know, you walk away from and hopefully we, you know, you retain all that good stuff, but it's definitely a lot. And then day two is the fun day. So we start off with a written exam and then we get right into our handling techniques. So we'll take the exam and then uh, get everyone familiar with using your equipment on non-venomous snakes. We break for lunch and then we come back and then students get to work venomous, which is everyone's favorite part. Um, so that's our level one course. And that's how it breaks down. Level two is the next step up. So with that, it's another two day course, lecture day, handling day. And we just get more into things like venom toxinology. Uh, we'll actually get into field herping and field herping ethics, um, different uh, restraint, capture, catch up techniques, especially for out in the field. Um, it's really geared and tailored more towards uh, like a field technician or biologist standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the handling techniques, we go over everything done in level one. And then we also teach our students how to safely tube a snake, which, you know, very, very exciting stuff. They all seem to really enjoy that. Um, so those are the courses that we've been running for the past couple of years. This year, we've implemented a new course that is right now we're calling calling it the introductory relocator course. And I think that's maybe causing a little bit of confusion. So we're trying to revisit that. But essentially, it's a one-day course, watered down level one. And it's to teach just like the basic everyday homeowner who how to safely remove snakes from in their house, out of their yard, things like that. It's tailored for people who don't necessarily want to kill that snake or maybe don't want to call somebody to come move it and do it themselves. So mm-hmm. with this course, we go over common non-venomous snakes you're likely to run into as well as the native venomous. Um, Some of the techniques that we go over are just using things like a broom and a trash bin to contain a snake. Um, We'll go over how to use a snake hook and a a bucket and things like that. Um, But we try to also talk more about just general household items because not everyone has a snake hook. Not everyone who takes this class is gonna go out and buy a snake hook. We just want them to feel like they can do it comfortably and safely. So that's that's the new course. and. I'm I'm excited for that one to start picking up. Um, unfortunately, with COVID, things have been a little bit, you know, not everyone's jumping the gun to take courses. Yeah, a little early. Yeah, a li- little early. And then, you know, with the weather, especially here in North Florida, it's been a little chilly still. But I have a feeling once snakes get moving again and people are seeing them in their yard, that that course will really take off. And how do you how are you guys getting the word out about that course? Uh, right now, it's just pretty much all social media and word of mouth. Um, I was. A little discouraged because this is something that I kind of took on and made it my baby because I was Mm -hmm. like, you know, I think this is something we'd really benefit from. And Tony was like, all right, well, if you think that's a good idea, I'll let you run with it. So we ran the first one in January and I think we like really struggled to get five people to sign up for it. But, um, you know, he reminded me that when we first started doing like the level one course, it was the same deal. But you get a handful of people to take this course. They tell their friends about it and word of mouth, and it really takes off. And right. as an organization, we've really been growing pretty consistently and building a really nice reputation. So I think word of mouth, and once we get some more, say, some like videos and photos of that course to start pushing on social media, I think it'll really, really take off. Let me ask you, how many uh, individuals take the classes that are uh, in their mind more seasoned than they really are? Uh, how many people have the, you know, one time I did a, you know, do you get a lot of that or no? 
It's a it's a mixed bag, man. It really is. Um, that's my favorite thing about these courses. Uh, we get people from all walks of life, and that's something that we're really proud of. Like you know, we'll we'll tell people at the beginning of the class, we'll go through and do introductions and all that jazz, and um, we teach everybody from just your average everyday homeowner. We get military personnel, first responders, private keepers, the whole shebang, and um, we 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 definitely get people who come in and think they've got you know a good bit of knowledge and you know we're fine with that too if you if you come into these classes thinking that you know what you're doing um you know our main goal is just you walk away from the class knowing how to do it safely so whether you've never touched a snake in your life or maybe you even keep a couple of venomous snakes you know these this class is going to benefit you um i've had a couple students that i've met through these courses that after the course they're like all right, I want to go and get my first venomous snakes. I want a Bothrops. <laughs> oh gosh, I'm yeah. ready. Uh, no, that's obviously that's not something that we condone, <laughs> but we can at least <laughs> we can at least feel good that we taught them some safe handling techniques. You know, this isn't a primer necessarily to get into keeping venomous. It's just to safely familiarize yourself with the equipment and how to use it. Um, but we have had a couple students that come in that either already have venomous because we've done a couple courses up in Atlanta. So we've had some South Carolina people come down. Um, then, like I said, we've had some people take these courses that the next weekend they're texting me pictures of their new baby Hortus and Adamantius. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm here if you have any questions because I really <laughs> don't want to see this go south. Um, but it's cool, man. We've had some awesome students and most of them, for the most part, stay in touch and try and stay up to date with all the things we're doing and ask questions. So if I take the, the second course, right, that teaches mm -hmm. me how to articulately palpate an Urutu, right? <laughs> or is that the third? That's the third course. Uh, yeah, that's level three. That's level three. <laughs> you, yeah. you have to ask about that course. We don't advertise it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like the secret menu at In-N-Out Burger. Uh, there you go. There you yeah. go. No, I'll, I'll, take, right. I'll, I'll take this course animal style, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, that's uh, that's another thing that is kind of on the back burner right now. But you know, me being involved in the private keeping aspect of things a little bit more so than our other staff and other team members is, I would like to tailor a course, whether it be a level three or something totally separate, that's more geared towards keeping these animals in captivity. And you know, obviously, being the rattlesnake conservancy, it would be uh, the period heavy. You know, we wouldn't be covering things like cobras or mambas, right. but We've had a lot of student interest just um, asking about that, and I think it would be something that's beneficial because as an organization, um, we're not here to tell people they should or shouldn't be keeping venomous snakes in captivity. Uh, we just want people to be able to do things safely, and I think that's something that we could really benefit from. Sure, absolutely. Do you feel that your years of retail work has helped you to mitigate some of the issues that you may encounter with some of the people in terms in terms of like uh, uh people being overly weary or you know almost timid or afraid to like they're there but you know you're talking about you know using hooks for the first time with mm -hmm. you know getting close up and personal um do you feel like there's uh like a timidness to it mm -hmm. do you, or do you feel like more people are more apt to be like okay i learned what i learned let's do this that's a really good question. Um, and it really just depends on the individual student. We do get a good bit of people 
who, you know, are timid and kind of a little bit shy about getting used to it. But that's one of the things that, you know, I can't say enough about our staff and our team of instructors is they're all great people. And the atmosphere that we try to put out around these classes is, you know, yes, what we're doing is serious and you need to retain this information, but we're not judging you. We're not standing over you, micromanaging every little thing you make, and we're not going to, you know, slap you across the face or slap a hook out of your hand if you're doing it wrong. We want our students to feel comfortable and at ease. And me personally, I mean, like I said earlier, I've only been working venomous since 2017, and that's really when my interest in reptiles got started. So I like to use that to relate with our students who are new to this and be like, hey, look, the hardest thing about these courses is not the rattlesnake you're going to be working with. It's the hooks. It's the screw-on bucket lid. It's the tongs. That's really what's going to give you some trouble. And don't feel bad about it. Don't get embarrassed. It happens to all of us. Mm-hmm. And I especially like, because when I teach the handling sessions, I walk through it. I do it myself and I explain each step. And those days where the snake I'm working with gives me a little bit of trouble, I'm almost thankful that it does that. So the students get to see that, okay, even this guy that yeah, they're feeling as a professional, yeah, he has trouble with it sometimes too. Um, so we do get that timidness, um, but we we try to you know make the students feel a little bit more comfortable about what they're getting themselves into. Awesome. And uh, and how difficult is it teaching someone tubing that's had like eight hours of experience? <laughs> it's uh, it's stressful. Um, I will definitely say that. But the good thing about our level two is the requirement to take it is you graduate from our level one course. So we right. at least already have established relationships with these students that are mm-hmm. coming back and we can kind of gauge their comfort level and that in turn affects our comfort level with them. Um, obviously, that's a much more tricky technique. Um, so it's it can get stressful, but thankfully after doing this a number of times, and even before I started taking over as a lead instructor, being able to shadow and see how Tony, my mentor, does it and know what to look for because, you know, we're keeping an eye on the snake. But at the same time, we have to watch every move that student is making and know when to step in. And um, I tell you, a big help has been the instructor training that we just did. So it's a new program that TRC is launching where we're partnering with other organizations to lease out our level one course. And we actually had some staff from Save the Snakes out in California. Uh, They came and we trained them to teach a level one course. And teaching someone else to teach something you've been teaching is a really great way to reevaluate how you do things. And that's been a really big help, like a very, very big help. And I'm excited to move forward with that program. I think it's going to be really good for us. But uh, not to get too off topic, teaching teaching people who are new to this how to tube is is very stressful and you can't be afraid to you can't right. be afraid to step in when you need to thankfully you know none of our team has ever taken a bite and we never had any close calls in a training course so knock on wood we're hoping hoping to keep it that way awesome do you guys have any local agencies taking advantage of any of the courses or anything like that yeah so one of the things we open or we offer is a first responder grant program Uh, So we partner with a couple different organizations like the Santa Fe Audubon Society or the Georgia Reptile Society, Mm -hmm. and they'll donate X amount of dollars to sponsor local first responders. And we're targeting more rural areas for this. So like 
around where I live down here in Florida, very rural, a couple other counties up in Georgia. And um, these courses, we're usually doing them, the last couple we've done have been at volunteer fire department and at a fire station. And we're getting firefighters and, you know, police officers to come through and take these courses. And they're definitely benefiting from it because in rural areas like this, usually if someone gets a snake, if they're not killing it, they're calling 911 or the cops yeah. or someone to come get it. And then you're getting this firefighter, this cop to come out and they've got no training. They don't know what they're doing. So they're either grabbing it behind the head with a set of pilstrom tongs or they're killing it themselves. So mm -hmm. the, uh, we've been fortunate enough to do some of those first responder courses. And I think they've really benefited from it. Um, I would like at some point to see some sort of partnership with a state wildlife agency like Florida Fish and Wildlife. I think that would be really beneficial. Um, really hard to get that off the ground and get the ball rolling on that one. But I think eventually there will be some promise with that. Nice. Nice. Mm -hmm. It just seems like something that would be, that would be wise of a lot of, you know, be it local law enforcement or fire departments or whatever, like mm -hmm. you were saying to take advantage of, especially down here in the South because snakes, especially oh, now yeah. it's starting to kind of warm up a little bit. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, they're probably going to get more and more of those calls. And I, I have some of my best friends here locally are cops. And I actually, I should ask them and see how many calls mm -hmm. they get for that kind of stuff. You know, I, I can't imagine yeah, it's, a, sure. it's a ton, you know, because it's also going to depend day and night shift and stuff like that. And Right. But, you know, if anything, like just teaching them, even if it's just the basics of like identification and stuff, I think that makes a exactly that makes a big deal because if you have people calling to remove a yellow rat snake and they're claiming it's a you know a python or a rattlesnake or something yep yep you know, they can at least remove it if the person wants them to which i exactly guarantee you they will but <laughs> yeah and that's the other good thing is after so one of the courses we did was literally it was down in melrose so a couple minutes from the house um at their volunteer fire department and uh, because I live like 10, 15 minutes up the road and I, you know, we built that relationship with those guys and gals. I dropped off a bunch of my business cards and I was like, Hey, if y'all don't want to move a snake, just reach out to me. I'm more than happy to come help. And um, coming from a law enforcement family, it's just this grant, this first responder program has been something that's super, super important to me. And it just, mm -hmm. that kind of helps me build that relationship with these different, you know, sheriff's deputies or cops or EMTs, firefighters that come through these courses. So it's definitely something that's, I think is really important, really valuable, save a lot of snakes, hopefully. And does that cover met the medical like side of it for, you know, if you're talking to EMTs and stuff about mm -hmm. sort of proper treatment, you know, if you come yep. up and someone says they've been bit and. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's one of actually, it's one of my favorite sections. I don't get to teach it that often mm -hmm. uh, just because Tiffany, um, our regional director, she's got a lot of experience just in that realm. Um, she's actually taking a wilderness EMT course. She's been gone for like an entire month, but she's taken like the wilderness first aid, you know, wow. wilderness first responder. So she's really good at it, getting down into the nitty gritty and teaching that stuff. But that's something that we cover in all the level one courses we go into, uh, like bite management. All right. What happens mm -hmm. if you get bit? We run through all these different scenarios. We do, you know, breakout sessions where we'll go through the class and be like, all right, you got bit on the hand by this species. You found someone in the middle of the woods who's taken a bite and you don't know what the snake was. So we try to throw all these different scenarios at the students and get them really thinking and get the wheels turning about what to do if they are in those certain situations. And then of course the big fun one is all the do nots when it comes to snake bite. Cause man, there are mm -hmm. so, so <laughs> many myths out there. And uh, it's also really neat to kind of 
open our students' eyes to the reality that most medical professionals don't really know how to treat yeah. snake bite. You know, people don't realize that, you know, they get maybe a day, two days at most during mm -hmm. their schooling to cover that. But with seven to 8,000 envenomations in the US a year, they're not going to see that very often. Right. So, you know, it's just something that we, we really drive home and a lot of people don't realize that. So I'm glad that we're able to kind of bring that to the light and show, hey, you need to be in charge of your treatment, of your own care, and save your local poison controls number in your phone on speed dial. So. I mean, even just uh, when it comes down to that, you know, it's those first, you know, when EM, EMS arrives and stuff to take them to the mm -hmm. hospital, or like that's that's a very important part as far as, you know, the oh, time yeah. on a bite. And if they're doing stuff that they shouldn't be doing, they mm -hmm. could end up permanently maiming somebody or even worse, get somebody killed. So, yep. Yep. Some of the biggest things that we hear or have stu students say is like using a tourniquet to treat snake bite. Mm -hmm. And they don't realize how potentially life-threatening that can be and how bad that can be with a lot of, especially our native pit vipers, man. Um, Cause yeah, you know, everyone laughs at the, okay, don't tase the bite. Don't, you know, ice it, things like that. But some of the more stuff that you, you know, when you're not thinking critically about it, like a tourniquet, for example, uh, they don't realize that. So for the students to be able to walk away with that knowledge is just, it's awesome. Yeah. I mean, think about how many times you've seen or heard in the past of a first responder, whether it be law enforcement or firefighter, EMS, whatever, and mm -hmm. their first their first notion is take a tourniquet. Well, back in the day, they didn't have you know cops carry tourniquets now yeah. on on all their duty belts. Back then, they didn't. They would take their mm -hmm. belt off, tie mm -hmm. a belt around a bicep, tie a belt around a quad or something, because yeah. their whole thought process was well, let's stop the flow, not mm -hmm. realizing that in the first you know eight seconds, it's already into the your whole body. So yep, yep, you know. Watching that evolution, I think, is awesome. And the fact it that you is, guys man. get to spell that out for them, I think, is great. Yeah, it's so cool. I love teaching these courses, man. It's it's a really great thing. How many how many first responders have you noticed that either not taking the course or taking the course noticed in the most recent years taking a liking to the snakes? Because I feel like in my area, I used to get a lot of calls from cops that knew I did snake stuff. Mm -hmm. And now they'll call me and say, oh, hey, I got this nice yellow wrap, but you know, Bobby on B shift, he's, he's a snake guy. Now he kept it. So like, don't, don't worry about driving out here. So like, I noticed a lot of that lately too, which I think is cool. Yeah, no, for sure. I wish I saw that more often. I really do. Um, but it's nice to know that, especially in these rural areas around in North Florida, where, you know, around where I live that, uh, they may not walk away from the course being snake people after this, but they have a whole new respect for them, which is you know, it's better than nothing. I that think that might it's be one amazing. of the most important parts of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, I just think about yeah. that, that famous cops episode yeah. where, you know, the, the big giant burly cop walks up and the lady's like, there's a rattlesnake in my gutter. And there's a, it's a corn snake. And he whips out his <laughs> retractable baton and he yeah. smacks it and kills it, but he damaged the gutter. And they didn't even say it on cops, but there was a whole big report afterwards how the Jeez. department had to pay for that lady's whole new gutter. <laughs> mm -hmm. So one of those yep. things like don't hit the corn snake with a baton and the city <laughs> won't have to pay for the roofing. There you go. Yep. Yep. I think there was one where there's some lady had a, a rat snake that they, they showed up to the call 
and they were looked around they couldn't find it anywhere and so they left and then like 15 minutes later they got called back because it showed back up in like a different part of the house or something nice. it ended up being a rat snake but they were they were like i don't know what kind of snake it is and so of course they're all being super timid and like checking oh, out yeah. maybe if it's something venomous you know they're yeah i think yeah, it might I mean, have been we... live pd actually now that i think about it oh yeah a live pd that was a good show but uh yeah no it's 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 wild man we try to put ourselves out there as much as we can um even if it's just for something like that with an id like i have i tell people all the time i have no problem if you need to text me or call me at three in the morning because you got a snake i will mm -hmm. happily at least id id it for you if you need me to man i just it's it's really important that we get people in this line of work more knowledgeable about this kind of stuff so you know i'm going to call you from a melrose number at three in the morning and say <laughs> and say hey man i got this i got this white snake and it's got a rattle on its tail the, the sucker's bone white <laughs> i'll be right there <laughs> i found it in one of my cages yeah yeah right right I actually just realized that there's a bunch of people on, on iNaturalist that mm -hmm. go into like exotic pet shops and stuff, and oh, they'll, they'll like they'll tag like red tail boa in like Orlando, and oh, you'll be like, gosh. "What the hell is that?" And like you'll zoom in, and it's like Bob's pets. <laughs> Jeez, naturalist. Frustrating. Yeah, naturalist, right? No, uh, I mean as far as medical management goes, that's something that I've preached more or less i guess oh, yeah. the say is like people not realizing that doctors don't know yep when it comes to exotic stuff doctors, oh, don't, God, know, yeah. doctors don't know what a squam is they don't know what a kaboon mm -hmm. is that snake didn't mm -hmm. exist until you came in with a bite and so there's this sort of this odd fantasization that you know, I'll go to the hospital and they'll patch me up and I'll be fine. And it's like, yeah. that kills me. It's like, you realize they don't know anything about mm -hmm. this snake. Yep. It might as well be a Martian. Exactly. Yeah, just, <clears throat> and it kills me because it's, and I, I don't like to speak in, you know, paint with a broad brush, but mm -hmm. it just it seems like to me, a lot of people that keep venomous that aren't on like, I'm not on like the level of like P and Cody or like right. Phil, you know, they, they keep them. It's more casual, I guess. Mm -hmm. this, uh, I feel like there's this overall impression that, you know, I'll just go to the hospital. Yeah, no, you're, you're, you're right. Man. And that's yeah. It's and assuming an you're even going to be conscious enough to even yeah. convey these things, what's going on. And that's why like with the things, the bite protocols that Joe Pittman offers, it's like yep. for what? Five bucks, 10 bucks. Mm -hmm. That is that's a huge leg up if you have that with oh, you yeah. now. Whether or not the doctor is going to be enough, like able to put his ego aside enough to actually use it, that's going to depend. But yeah. just to me, it and makes I, it makes so much. It's so stupid not to have that. Agreed. No, hit the nail on the head, man. That's like with these courses, we have a whole section dedicated to keeping venomous reptiles in captivity, and I am lucky enough to be able to teach that section most of the time. And that's, you know, that's something that we cover, whether you have 30 venomous snakes at your house or you have maybe one or two, you know, there are so many things that you need to consider. That's, that's literally the first slide is considerations. Okay. Mm -hmm. You think you want to keep venomous first off why, and then here's a whole list of things you need to think about. You know, we've got who, who's going to Cobra sit for you. If you want to travel and go out of town for yeah. a couple of weeks, you know? And then obviously, like you were just saying, with the bites and the, is being prepared for that, you know, it's one thing, oh, yeah, you know, I keep a cane break or I have a couple squams, 
or, you know, I've got a white lipped viper. You know, if you get tagged by that thing and you haven't established some sort of relationship with your primary care and your, you know, medical director at the ER that you're going to be going to, just like you said, you're going to show up and they're going to be looking at this folder your maybe significant other gave them because you're unconscious and they're going to be like, what's this? And just this throw is just it out. a bunch of names and numbers that mean nothing yeah. to me. You know? Yeah, exactly. It's so Even though important. It could be like, it could be Spencer green. Who's, you know, yeah. Could, who's seen more bites than probably <laughs> other, any other doctor in the U S you know, yeah. I think second, maybe on little Sean Bush, but uh, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, that doesn't mean anything to them. They don't, they don't, the, mm. the, the bite protocols don't come with credentials. Yeah, you know, they, it's so know this is some man. guy in a trailer in the middle of nowhere in Florida that you know. Yep. That, I don't know. Yeah. I would hope that it's packaged enough, like packaged together well enough to where they see that and they're like, you know, reading the the treatment and stuff and saying, okay, this is actually legit, mm-hmm. you know, and and being trusting of it. But yeah, I mean, having that that relationship with the doctor. Yep. Uh, and I would even. Effort. I would even think it might not, not even be a bad idea to talk to more, like have more than one on hand. Cause if you have one yeah. that's not available, yeah. having someone as like a backup probably isn't a bad idea either, but not yeah. at all. I don't know. I, uh, I'm actually the, I have two hospitals in my town. Mm-hmm. One of them is, I think like three miles away. The other one is like four and a half, five miles away. The farther away hospital though, is my primary hospital in an emergency because mm-hmm. I know for a fact that that hospital has dealt with more exotic snake bites than any other hospital in all of South Florida, simply nice. because of the people that live around me. Like, I mean, let's yeah. face it, there's a lot of, there's a lot of hot guy, uh, 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 venomous people down here oh, and yeah, for, sure. for whatever reason, they happen to go to that hospital and just luck, you know? Um, yep. and ironically, one of my friends is the head surgeon at that hospital. Ah, there you go. So, like, I don't, I don't, I didn't contact any of the people that work there per se, mm-hmm. but he knows I've got stuff. And he's on speed mm-hmm. dial, you know, and all my bite protocols and anti venom and all that stuff. Like, people know what's what, you yeah, know. Yeah. And I'm lucky in the stance that I have several friends local that mm-hmm. I could speed dial. And at the same time, my roommate he does venomous too. So there you go. You know, you just gotta you gotta let the wife know, let the spouse know, let the yep. brother, roommate, whatever. Yeah, you know, with the roll with the punches. Yeah, it just goes along with all those considerations you have to take. Yeah. Like some of the other things we talk about, like because you know anaphylaxis is a real issue that not everyone realizes, mm-hmm. and you oh, can yeah. be unconscious in a matter of seconds. So we try and encourage people if they're going to keep. Um, obviously, in the state of Florida, we're required to have some sort of labeling on all of our cages. We like to do the cage cards that are velcroed, so you can take them on and off. Mm-hmm. Yep. We attach them to a carabiner, put them on our belt loop before we even service that cage or work that animal. That way. If something happens and I go smart. unconscious, yeah. Mm-hmm. If if my uh, significant other walks in and sees me unconscious on the floor, she can look at that card and be like, "Okay, well, there's a big eastern diamondback somewhere in this room, and that's probably what got him, or you know, whatever other species." And then even going beyond just building relationships with your ER doctors, your local first responders. I mean, you know, some people may show up to a house, realize that there's a bunch of exotic venomous snakes in there. And not necessarily want to go in, whether you've got a house fire, there's a medical emergency. So, you know, getting and sitting down with them and letting them know, hey, this is who I am. This is what I keep. Mm -hmm. In some cases, they may take an interest and want to come see it and see the layout of the house. So there's just all this super important stuff that not everyone thinks about. And I was so naive and green when I got into this a couple of years back. 
that I'm starting to see now that not everybody has the same thought or all these same things yeah. that they go through or consider. And it's so disheartening, man. Cause I can't it's think concerning that there's so many people that are so lax. It is like, oh. I've put venom, like I put venomous keeping on like the top tier when I was first getting into reptiles, like, Oh, I'm and man. Everybody who keeps venomous snakes is like, super like awesome and super safe and super professionals and now that, I, now that i've been in it i'm like oh god i was so wrong <laughs> yeah you you got lucky and you got you got to train under some individuals mm. that are seasoned and think outside the box and could teach you the right way the articulate way yeah. and there's other people that like we talked about you know <laughs> trial by fire and yeah oh here you want hours here's a snake hook have fun don't die you know yep. that's it's a shame. Have all these cages cleaned in two hours. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. No. And yeah. you definitely hit it on the head. So I, I honestly, it just worked out. I was in the right place at the right time. It was pure luck. And I've had, in my personal opinion, I've had the three best mentors that I could have ever asked for, man. I feel like they really set me up for success. And that's something that's just, it's super important. I've got a lot of people that reach out to me about getting started into this. I try to be active in some of the mentorship groups and just looking for the right mentor and finding that right mentor is everything. Yeah. And that's, that's, see, that's, that's kind of tough. Cause you do see, I mean, we've, we've all seen it on the venomous, mm -hmm. group, you know, people saying, Hey, I'm looking for a mentor. And of course they're maybe it, like in the middle of nowhere in Montana. And it's like, yep. how many people in Montana are actually keeping venomous? Exactly. You know, out of the 12 people that live there, <laughs> um, you know, it's, and so I feel, I do like, that's concerning. Cause I mean, obviously if they're asking, then they're, you know, they're kind of on the right track already and their heads in the right spot. Mm -hmm. But it's like, if they can't find a mentor, how many of them are just kind of wing it and say, well, I'm just going to go get something and learn on the job. Mm -hmm. So to speak. Yep. So, yeah. That's not to say that people, should, people shouldn't just take them in as a, you know, as an apprentice or whatever. Cause I mean, right. Phil can attest to that. Not everyone mm -hmm. is, is cut out to, to not, not everyone makes a good student. So I've heard. So I've heard. Yeah. Yeah, there's a reason why you don't touch a snake for 10 weeks. Yep. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Which yeah, I'm whether... actually I'm actually surprised that you don't have. I mean, you might, and I don't know, but it almost seems like from the pictures that I watch, because I, I, I follow your Instagram page every day. I follow the Conservancy's Instagram page every day because I'm that fangirl, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but it almost seems like the people that are taking the class, they look like, just by their facial expressions and the, the way they present themselves, it looks like they, they genuinely want to know. They genuinely want to mm -hmm. be there, and that's why they're taking the class. For and sure. I don't think I've ever seen, and I'll probably put my foot in my mouth by saying this, I don't think I've ever seen in any of your photos of you training, I've mm -hmm. never seen someone with their cell phone out. You know what I mean? And, yep. like, I don't see people tag you and say, you know, oh, look at this video that we just took where their mind is on Instagram and not at the task at hand. Right. So, like, I, I commend that. That's awesome. No, thank you. That, that means a lot. You know, that's definitely, it's one of those things where I wish that we were able to have more photos, do more videos, because at, at the end of the day, social media is a necessary evil. And that's how we're going to continue to grow and promote the organization. But, you know, you're, you're right. And I'm glad you pointed that out. And I really, it means a lot that you, you know, respect and appreciate that. Because when we're doing these things, man, we may have one or two people that are able to take photos, but you're right. We're told everyone's totally 100% focused yeah. on the task at hand. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's awesome. It, it's always, I'm assuming you have, you know, your two or three instructors or two or three, you know, people mm -hmm. there to do that aspect of it. You have the students and you have one person who maybe is just a spectator and wants to take photos or yeah. maybe it's someone from, you know, the conservancy that you mm -hmm. know, today they're just going to take 
you know, PR stuff. And yeah. that's the way to do it, you know, so that it everyone is. can be focused and still get mm -hmm. the message out. Yeah. Yeah, no, we like to set up set up our roles beforehand when it comes to these courses. Ideally, it doesn't happen every time, but ideally we have three instructors. We have um, on the handling days, two instructors teaching two groups, handling materials and uh, techniques. And then that third instruct instructor is a floater. So you're bouncing back between the two groups, making sure everything's running smoothly, taking photos, things like that. But, you know, that doesn't happen every time. And I, I wish we could do that. I wish we were at a point where we could because people come to these courses. And I know I'm guilty of it. I wish I had more photos of me working with the stuff at Cody's house. But there's like maybe three or four photos that exist of it. But um, so I know the students, they would really appreciate being able to have some more of those photos. But dude, you know, I'd like gladly come down and take pictures if y'all wanted me to. Oh, dude, I'm not I, that far from talk about that. <laughs> it's only like Jacksonville's like three hours away. I think it's closer yeah. to, to get to Jacksonville than it is Columbia, I think, almost. Jeez, nice. It's really not that yeah. far. So. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely have to chat some more about that then. And I also, before topics get changed, wanted to mention, um, so one of our previous courses, we were fortunate enough to have someone from Miami-Dade Fire Rescue come take the course, uh, which was awesome, because obviously Miami-Dade Fire Rescue Venom 1, it's all mm -hmm. part of the same thing. And uh, he actually knew Phil and has mentored under Phil and had nothing but great things to say. So Look at that. I, yeah. Awesome, so, dude. I I, 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 gotta, I feel really bad, you know, because he lives uh, he lives probably an hour and a half away from me, but he works oh, wow. for Miami Dade Fire Rescue, so he mm -hmm. commutes over two hours a day. Oh wow! You know, going to his job and and uh, and like where we do our classes is like the halfway point, and mm -hmm. I, I felt bad because I told him I was like, listen, man, we really don't have that many animals right now because COVID shut down yep. imports and you know people were getting sick and it was it's COVID, you know. And uh, oh, yeah. I got to hit him up now that things have calmed down again and get him back in the room. So for sure, man, he, he was definitely, definitely excited about it and ready to, he, yeah. you could tell he was, he was thirsty for knowledge, man. Yeah. Sure. Oh, most definitely. And that, and that's a guy who, you know, the first time I ever met him, he literally says to me, he's like, Hey man, I love everything that we're going to do. I'm really excited about this. What books would you recommend I get? And I was like, oh, my God, I found that my is, perfect student. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's like, what, what that's books? awesome. Okay, he didn't ask me what YouTube channel to watch. He didn't ask yeah. me, you know, who to Facebook. He's like, what books can I get? And I was like, perfect. You're going to do well in this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Say, how big is your bank account? Yeah, right. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> do you so, have a small inheritance you can use to afford half these books that I, I even want but can't get? You know? Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh man, it's crazy. It's crazy because I was just going through books recently. Like, I just got a new bookshelf because I I overloaded it, you know. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so now I I wanted to get one big one that would encompass all the books, but nice. I guess I I wasn't paying attention on Amazon. I ordered another one. It's basically the same friggin' size. So now I have two of them, <laughs> next to each other, which is fine. It, it, it's fine. But nice. uh, I was just going through books, and it's like there's so many books that you haven't finished or you haven't even started. Oh, and then God, there's yeah. books that's like, where did this come from? Where did I buy this? Like <laughs> the random one you find at a thrift shop or a gar yeah. uh, garage yeah. sale or something. Yeah. It's like, why do I have a Chimera edition morphology of Western hognose snakes? Like, I don't even own one. Like, <laughs> where did this that's come from? Cool though. Yeah, I mean, like, mm -hmm. exactly. Amazon used books section. Some of those books oh, yeah. you can find for next to nothing. Mm -hmm. You know, even yeah. if it's not in the best of condition, it's like if it's still readable, I don't really care. You know, the cover could be falling off for all I give a shit. Sure. Oh, yeah. 
And like, yeah, I, like going to Barnes and Noble to those, like they have those, mm. those discount tables with like the coffee table books. Yep. I have, I have like every single one of those snake books for like nine ninety five. you know, the coffee, the big ugly coffee table ones, but there's some cool stuff in there. There's some good pictures. You know. Calvin and Hobbes. <laughs> yeah. Right. Dude. I had all the Calvin and Hobbes books as a kid. Nice. Yeah, no, that's I'm I'm really fortunate. My girlfriend is a huge book nerd, and um, when I move my snakes out of the office into the new snake room, we're turning the office into her library because we've got tons of bookshelves. So we spend a lot of time in bookstores, and I take that to uh, I take advantage of that for sure. I actually I don't know if you, any of you, either of you are familiar with the Ashton Biological Preserve outside of Gainesville, but um, I was fortunate enough to live on site and intern there for eight months, and they. Pat and Ray Ashton wrote some of the two, but the best two field guides for the state of Florida. One was about the snakes and one was about, uh, it was it encompassed lizards, crocodilians, and, uh, Chelonians. Is that, there the was small, a, is that the small little book? That's like, there's volume one and volume two, volume one is snakes. It's like tan. Yes. I have that. Yes. So they, Fantastic. they have, they have the snake book. They have the lizards, crocs, Charles tortoises book. But there was a third one on the amphibians that only a limited amount were ever published. Really? And I was at a bookstore in Jacksonville and I happened to freaking find it for like five bucks. And even at that, at the preserve, at the facility, they don't have a single copy of it. So the fact I found one at some random secondhand bookstore, wow. I was so excited. Yeah, it was so cool. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. I'm yeah, always more curious as to how some of those books ended up there in the first place. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. what random person somehow had this? Exactly. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. Awesome. So is the is your missus a uh, herper too or no? She's not. She's accepting of it, but she's definitely a mammal person. <laughs> okay. So uh, okay. we met at Santa Fe College. We were going through the zoo program together there, and she uh, she wanted to work of stock. And after we graduated, I pursued the thing with Ashton and TRC, and she actually did an internship at Jack's Zoo. And it was really cool. I enjoyed hearing all of her stories. And uh, she went from being a hoofstock person to being a primate person. She really? worked with the bonobos, the gorillas, all that. And she absolutely loved it. So uh, she's definitely not a herper, but she's very, very supportive of my my craziness and all the snakes in the house right now. So okay. I'm very lucky. <laughs> very, very lucky. So you don't have like a kudu in the backyard? Not yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Castleberry, man. Oh gosh! I'm like I'm obsessed with cassowaries. Ever since Daytona, talking to Matt and Jamie and Phil, that first time that me and Phil actually like met. Yeah, remember we sat on the back the the back patio area and just talked about cassowaries for like an hour. And ever since then, I just every time I see one now, I'm like, that is a freaking death machine. It's like fascinating, terrifying at the same time. Cool man. Like I've been tempted to do a whole episode on here just about cassowaries. Be like, I don't even care about (laughs) reptiles. This episode, we're gonna talk about velociraptors. We'll get, we'll get them on, man. You know, uh, Matt and Jamie's friends that have the Cassowary Ranch, they're actually uh, they're going through some some major renovations and stuff. And I, I don't know if they're selling the property and moving, but I know they sold a bunch of birds to a couple different, you know, zoos, zoo places. And uh, they're basically going to kind of focus more on uh, establishing animals for display, you know, nice. and uh, they're going to have a whole new facility and it's going to be freaking amazing. So as soon as I, you know, get wind that they're stable, we got to get them on here, man, because that would be awesome. I want to go down there and see it. Oh, yeah. Whatever you want, man. Like, I don't want to get I don't want to get in the in the, the pen with them, dude, but I'll gladly stand outside the fence and watch. That was the scariest shit 
I've probably ever done. And like, I didn't have a shield. Matthew had a shield. And the, the one of the guys that runs the place, he's like, hey, watch that mail. If that mail moves, you start screaming bloody murder. <laughs> and the, that's the whole thing. Is, I guess the males, they sit on the eggs. But mm-hmm. the female is the one that's going to literally kill you. Mm-hmm. So he goes in there with a shield. And I'm like on the fence. And I know that like if, as soon as that boy gets up off that nest, I have to let go of the fence. Because if I'm on it, I'm on it. You know what I mean? And luckily he ran in there and he he grabbed those eggs and runs out and just hands me these eggs. And I'm like, oh my God, don't drop them, don't drop them, don't drop them. <laughs> and it, that was just, it was. Was that inc- when you, that video that she sent of the, the one like making the noise? Uh, same trip, but that's totally different. Oh, that, okay. that, yeah, that's an animal by itself. Uh, that's the single waddle. That's uh, These guys are actually the only breeders of the single waddle in captivity, I believe, in all of. Nice. I don't want to say the world. I think there's one other place that does it. But, uh, but they're the only people that have successfully done it in captivity. And uh, that's one of their breeder males. And his sole goal in life is just to end yours. God, so, it's just crazy. Uh, like you think about over the course of history, how many people have been taken out by one of those? Just in mm-hmm. like in their in their native habitat. Like how many like of the people back before, like civilization, stuff like that, getting killed by a freaking cassowary, dude. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and what's Same. crazy is the the pens that they use. Because they're not considered a, a, a class three animal in Florida. They're considered a, a, an agriculture animal. Uh, they're, hmm. they're game birds, essentially. So you don't need any kind of special, you know, I don't want to say zoo caging. I mean, obviously they right. have zoo caging. Right. It's not like they keep it in a pen in the backyard, you know. <laughs> um, but the fences are only like five and a half, six feet high. But the wow. birds can clear that in a single jump. But the trick is you have to keep them relaxed. So mm. if you went over there and was like, ah, start yelling, oh, that thing's going to jump right over that fence. But if you walk over and you're calm and cool and collected and it's all private property, so they don't have to worry about anything. Yeah, yeah. Then, then, they, then they've not yet, knock on wood, they've not yet uh, had, a bird, <laughs> had a bird jump the fence. But That's awesome. Well, I mean, imagine being someone who's like trespassing and you hop this fence not knowing. Yeah, right. You start yeah, hearing I didn't that realize noise. they weren't. Like a class one animal in Florida. Yeah, that is actually wild. like what's that? Like, do people actually do they eat the birds themselves or just the eggs? No, I, I don't think they they don't they don't even eat the eggs. Uh, the eggs are worth their weight in gold because yeah. no one breeds them. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think pe- I don't think there's enough of them to merit a a food concept. You know what I mean? It's right. not like ostrich farms. Like people eat Pretty ostrich. Serious, all the time. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanksgiving but, turkey. If you play your card, yeah, right. <laughs> but uh, what's crazy is, is they have like chicken coops on property too. And uh, you know, cause they get fresh eggs, you know? And uh, it's funny cause you'll be walking down like the alleyways in between each pen and you'll just smell something funny. You're like, what is that smell? And you'll look and there'll be a dismembered, like just completely gutted entrails spilled out raccoon because the raccoon <laughs> snuck on property to steal chicken eggs and he went in the wrong coop. Eesh. Jurassic Park, man. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. there was there was a Clever video girl. on Facebook not that long ago of like showing cassowaries in like slow motion. You see like their eye and like the oh, you know yeah. it's just like dude, that is a dinosaur. <laughs> there's for nothing sure. else that is but a dinosaur. Like there's you can tell those things haven't changed for however many millennia. Like those just like crocodiles and alligators. Like those things are exactly the same way they were, however many thousands of years ago. Yeah, and. Yeah, man. I don't know what it is. I just, like I said, I'm 
fascinated by the damn things. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know if this is going to translate sound wise, but I have the video pulled up for that. The audio, that one. Oh. There. Boy, I'd be <laughs> here. Here it is. I heard that. And I was in a, like not knowing I was in a pen. I'd be out of there so fast. If so I heard fast, that dude, dude, I'd piss myself and then I'd be <laughs> running for any wall of the fence I could possibly find. And you better believe my, my fat ass is getting over that thing somehow or another. <laughs> you guys hear that? That came out. Okay. Yeah. 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 It's okay. terrifying. <laughs> it is. It's awesome. I wonder if the babies are as hardcore as the adults are. What's that? The baby cassowaries, the cassowary, the cassowary chicklets. Yeah, I, I think they're. I actually, I think they're pulse, just like turkeys. Um, they're super adorable. I played with little baby ones that are like two weeks old, and they're nice. little 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 floof balls, and they're super cute and adorable. And then right when they get to like that thirty-two inches, thirty-six inches, oh, the game is on. <laughs> and like they they will mess you up Crazy. at at thirty-two inches. So. And it's even worse because you look at their you look at their feet and like those talons that they have they're not even really that sharp I don't even know if you can necessarily call them talons so imagine like getting hit by that and gutted by it it's like getting gutted yeah. by a dull knife mm -hmm. yeah. it's crazy yeah and like everyone is uh, they go gaga over the eggs because uh, yeah. the eggs are neon green yeah oh, they're just bright they look like a, a an unripe mango. And we always joke about my famous mango picture of me holding the cassowary egg all gentle. <laughs> it looks like a freaking mango, but uh, but people, you know, they blow the insides out and they keep yeah. the, the unfertilized egg and they mount it on their wall or whatever. But it's just crazy watching the transformation because when they're born, they're like tan colored. Yeah, mm -hmm. they kind of look like a turkey or an ostrich. Yeah, and then they yeah, kind of get, get those black stripes on them, and then as they get older, the color gets darker and darker and darker, and the you know the the wattle colors start coming out, and the head cask starts coming out. Very blue very blue nice. murder turkeys. That's what I call them. Yep. Said, blue murder turkeys. How do we get on the Four topic times. of murder turkeys? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we rattlesnake just Florida, <laughs> but not even about rattlesnakes. It's about bairds and subox. Oh snap! Derek yeah, has bears. the bug, man. Bears. I do. Battlestar Galactica. That's right. I do. Yeah, it's uh for me, it's a little more on the subox heavy side, but man, they're both they're a lot of fun. I'm thoroughly enjoying them. I did not expect to be as into subox as I am. Yeah. And it's so, because of Dusty Rhodes book, man. I was just gonna say it's because of that book. I you yeah. know, I got it because it had a it was like it's one of very few books that even has information on Bairds in it. <laughs> yep. And so I bought it just literally for that chapter. I was like, I don't care about subox because I, I got subox and, and like Texas rats confused mm -hmm. a lot. And so I was like, yeah, I don't care about those things. They're, you know, they're mean, whatever. And then I started reading it and I was like, damn, these are actually kind of cool. And by the end, I was yeah. like, I love bears <laughs> and now I want subox. And yep. Yep. <laughs> I've got my trio and they're just so cool. It's just like the whole, I guess compared to other North American colubrids, they're just so, there's something so much more mysterious about them. Cause there's, yes. there's a lot we really just don't know about them. Still. exactly and the fact that they have a tick that's exclusive to them mm -hmm. i thought was really interesting too yeah they're they're so cool and like you said like out of all the north american colubrids because like i've kept a lot of florida native stuff at one point my collection was exclusively snakes native to the state of florida 
and I got out of that and got into the more exotic Say, boy, stuff. that changed. Yeah, it did. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, I'm, gosh, I've ebbed and flowed like nobody's freaking business, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I just think about how many people, especially in Florida, get mm-hmm. into this, and they handle a little bit of this, they handle a little bit of that, and then you get someone like yourself that was literally had the ability, you and Paul, and like had the ability to work with the RPI's collection. Mm-hmm. Just the diversity of species. You know, it's like how many people handle a monocle cobra and they only get to handle it when it's 18 yeah. years long. You've handled the entire lifespan of one, you know, mm-hmm. and that's, mm-hmm. that's awesome. I'm so thankful too, because I don't know whether to love or hate Cody when it comes to the money I'm going to spend <laughs> on reptiles. Right. Because on, on one hand, Okay, I've had that itch scratched when it comes to things like Palata and you know Samarensis yeah. and a lot of other stuff. Because at one point I kept a list on my phone of all the venomous I wanted to keep, and I can now knock off most of those species because I I've worked with them and now I know yeah they were fun. I still love them as a species, but not necessarily something that I want to focus on. So now. Mm-hmm that list has gotten a lot smaller, but the animals on that list have gotten a lot expensive, a lot more expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, how many people also get to work with, you know, the Bothriacus stuff and the yep. Ophriacus and, and that's it right there. My, yeah. my venomous collection will be anything with a rattle, Bothriacus and Ophriacus. That is all yeah. I'm concerned about. And they're the Ophriacus they have. I'm bummed. Cause every time I go oh, there, dude. I intend to take pictures of them but that room is almost always occupied. Like there's you know, yeah. almost always someone in there. And so yep. I don't know at some point, at some point I want to do a, a, like a, a magazine article on RPI and stuff. And I'm going to go down mm-hmm. there and, and take some pictures and stuff. Oh, and for sure, man. I'm definitely going to get some, some Ophriaca shots while I'm there. Cause that's, uh, that's, so I only saw him. I only saw him a few times when I was there, mm-hmm. like the babies in the, in the rack and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, man, they just have so much stuff. And there's so much stuff so that I think we dude. never even saw because it was in quarantine, you know? Yeah. Like they had some some Cape Cobras and I never even got to see those. And I love mm-hmm. Cape. Mm-hmm. So. I um I was I'd been going to Cody's place for months and never stepped foot in that Montaigne room. And then Southeast Carpet Fest rolls around and we were talking about it. And Cody was like, Wait, you've never been in the Montaigne room? I'm like, No, dude, I've never stepped foot in there. The best room <laughs> so in the house. Carpet- yeah. yeah, so Carpet Fest was the first time I went in that room, and I was like, I need to spend way more time in here. Yeah. And then I'd never seen their quarantine, because Geo primarily worked the quarantine animals. So I didn't step foot in there until Cody and Pia went out of state for a little while, and I went over and checked up on things every day. So I was finally able to see some of the stuff that I didn't even know they freaking had locked away yeah. in their quarantine. So. Yeah, so much stuff there, man. So much. I mean, are so, mambas on that list of stuff that you have no desire to really keep? Uh, mambas are a tough one. I got into venomous, and I was like, you know what? I don't think I have any desire to ever want to keep a mamba. And then I work mambas, and now I'm like, I definitely see the desire. Um, mm-hmm. I, they're not high on that priority list by any means, just because especially anytime soon because the way I'm going to be set up is I'm going to have a room that stays chilly and that's not conducive to mambas, but I can see potentially at some point maybe having some blacks or some East Africans um, just because they're, they're incredible animals. They really are. I, 
out of all of the species I've worked with at Cody and Pia's, as far as working with the animal goes, the mambas have been my favorite. They're just so unique. There's, they're so different than anything else I've ever worked with. And I just enjoy those interactions and just watching the mamba watch me back is just like nothing else. And I really, I really enjoy working with them. Now, as far as just species goes, those, those Ophriacus are my favorite things that they have. But when it comes to working with an animal, the, the Dendroaspis, no doubt. The Ophriacus are just so cool. Yeah, they I, are. I feel like nobody knows about them. Like no one knows they exist. No, no not They're at all. So cool. And that's why one of my favorite pages on Facebook is the Herp MX guys. Yeah. Oh, dude. Like, I they've love they've inspired group. a big obsession with that the you know montane yep. mexican rattlesnakes and all the other oh yeah cool stuff they've been finding i'm like god mm-hmm. we um little little known tidbit about trc we were working oh gosh i think last year we were working on going down to mexico to film a documentary and unfortunately it fell through for a number of different reasons but man that's just you talk about bucket list places and on snakes and stogies y'all were talking about countries opening up to mm-hmm. export Me- mexico that's it for me man they have so much cool stuff down there i want more mexican bears yeah hell I yeah i mean like bloodline wise we're you know like i was saying unless someone somehow snuck some in or something and we don't mm-hmm. know about it like the bloodline we have is, is fairly that's limited it. yeah crazy so so i've got two questions for you that kind of go together um okay so when you first uh, went to apply for, I'm assuming on, on your endorsements, you only have Viparidae? Yes. Right okay. now it's only Viparidae. So when you submitted your application for, for the license, mm-hmm. they made you fill out the list of every species you've ever worked with? Um, they didn't make me fill out a list of everything I've worked with, but on my hours sheet, like my recorded hours, okay. I had it broken down by species. So they, okay. they knew what I had worked with. So how many species of vipers and pit vipers did you have? Oh, Jesus. Um, Do you remember? I I don't, I don't, I can't give you an exact number and it's probably going to be lower than what you would expect. Um, I know a big chunk of my hours came from my time with the rattlesnake conservancy and with Ashton biological preserve. So it was, it was primarily, North American by pit vipers. Um, when I linked up with Cody, you know, Tony, my mentor had recently moved to Arizona. I needed to finish up my hours and I wanted a lapid experience. Uh, I had met Cody on a couple occasions at various symposiums, things like that. And I learned that he lived like 15 minutes from my house. So I was like, I'm going to shoot my shot and see what happens. Yeah. And uh, thankfully it worked out. But when I hit up Cody, I was like, Hey, look, you know, I need to wrap up my Viparidae hours, but I really want to get a lapid experience because I had next to none. Like I had worked some Egyptian cobras and some Indo-Chinese spitters, but that was really it. Um, so when I started with Cody, that was primarily what he he retained from our conversation was, oh, he wants a lapid hours. So day one of working animals, he's like, all right, here's some juvenile black mambas. You have at it. So um, while I've been there, I will say what I've primarily worked at the RPI has all been a lapid. So um, fairly limited experience with actually working with a wide variety of the Pyridae, but I I can say I've got a lot of experience with keeping them successfully just because of the amount I've learned from Cody. Awesome. And just for yeah. the record, 
for those listening, uh, Cody knew like Derek's, you know, uh, uh, track history and yes, yeah. <laughs> he was throwing him to the wolves. You know what I mean? So yeah. he knew he could handle his own. He, he, the RPI yeah. is not in the business of starting off novices with baby black mamas. No, Just, no, it was, it was yeah. a big, it was a big honor for me. He was like, you know, I know you're safe. I know you know how to do, do this stuff safely. He's like, I mean, you teach people how to do this kind of stuff. So he, he, the fact that he had faith and confidence in me to be able to do that. I mean, I'd gone over to his house several times already and never touched an animal, but that one particular day it needed to be done. And he was like, I'm going to teach you how to do this. So nice. it was, it was pretty awesome. So question two is once you do get the elaborate endorsement, mm-hmm. what, what do you want to get into? Death adders. Ah, yep. I knew it. <laughs> yep. Yep, that's really it. If you would have asked me that probably a year to a year and a half ago, I would have listed out a bunch of different Naya species, a bunch of different cobras, man. But uh, I've I've refined things, and death adders are really it. You know, of course, the right. elapid that's most like a viper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right. What uh, which species? Oh, see that I I I'm not sure yet. You know, I've I've worked the handful that Cody and Pia have, um, and I've done a little bit of reading up on them. I just, there's not much available. So yeah. in all reality, whatever pops up would yeah. be what I grab. Um, I, I just, I haven't been able to decide what exactly I would focus on. It'd be very it hard to, to not get some of those Dajaras and just put them in like a really nice natural oh, yeah. setup, dude. Yeah. Oh. I'll be honest. I think with the exception of a couple people that are very secretive in their collections, I think they're the only ones that have them right now, to be brutally honest. Somebody, yeah. somebody, please correct me on that one. No, I know. Um, I know. Oh gosh, who was it? Eric and Kristen at Fascination. I know they've had they've had some. They've recently posted some available, and then our good buddy down south, who I've gotten a lot of animals from, he's got a couple right now. Whether or not he'll keep them, I have no idea. Okay, but Fascination always has the coolest stuff, man. They do have some really cool. They have some uh, Thrasops. Uh, I know. I was looking at those yesterday. I, I wanted them so bad, but they were gone within like the hour. <laughs> I believe it, dude. They always get in that. the nice and boiga. Oh yeah, they you do. Know? Dude, I had Black Jacks and I from Kenya, fresh oh, off the boat, man. and just full of nematodes and piss and vinegar. Oh and, no! And nobody at the, at the time I was working at Strictly, and at the time. Mm-hmm. Nobody knew how hot they were. So, like, oh, they put them in, in my venomous room, and I'm like, why did you give me these things? They're like, because they're venomous. I'm like, yeah, but, I mean, is it really? And they're like, right. oh, we're not going to take any chances. And I just remember, Do you like, want to be the one to find out? It, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it just, they were just so, like, annoying because they just, <laughs> they would never be defensive, but they wouldn't sit still. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I yeah. believe that. But they're beautiful. They were jet black. Jet black. See, that's my thing. I feel like they're probably really similar to working with Spilotes, and I yeah have a really big passion for newly discovered passion for Spilotes. So I saw I you, were, those... you were looking for Ganyasoma recently too. I saw. I uh, yes, Ganyasoma, Spilotes, Thrasops. It's the, you're, the you're, arboreal colubrids. You're listening to this podcast too much. That's the problem. It really is 100. <laughs> percent Why do you have Bairds and Subox? Oh, I don't know, Justin. Why do I? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm forming yeah. a, a Bairds cult, and I've got a lot yeah, of people right? joining. <laughs> Got to figure out which flavor of Kool Aid cool I want to bring though. to the party. Nice. <laughs> well, that's good, man. I, I, those are those are good answers. I, I like that. That's awesome. Yeah. No, I've definitely. Uh, 
I've definitely taken a step back here recently and reevaluated my collection because, you know, people talk about diversity and when you first get into the industry or the hobby, whatever you want to call it, and you want to get everything. Of course. And, you know, I've heard every, every podcast, everybody talks about it. But honestly, no matter how many times you hear it, I think it's one of those things you need to experience it for yourself. Yep. And I've, I've definitely realized that I'm going through that. You know, I've got animals from all over the place, you know, chondros, white lip pythons, apodora, you know, carpet python, like all kinds of random stuff. And I'm like, all right, I need to really thin out, figure out the couple things that I want to keep and continue to work with. Cause I knew it was always venomous for me. It was always going to be venomous, but obviously it's a long process to get there. And in the meantime, I was trying to find all these different things to just kind of fill that space, scratch sure. that itch. Sure. And um, now that I'm kind of getting slowly getting to where I want to be, I'm like, all right, I'll probably keep one chondro cause I really enjoy looking at them, but it's been fun. Not for me. White lip pythons, probably one of my favorite Python species on the planet, but, I don't need to keep them anymore. You mm -hmm. know, I'm, I've, I've realized that I want to focus down into a specific region and kind of just go from there. And for me, it's Southwest U S central America. And that's really what I really want to focus on. So I've got the Bairds, I've got the Subox, Spilotes. Um, I've got an Arizona green rat, the Centicolis, right, nice. you know, and that's kind of what I'm trying to focus on. Like, I still have my first couple snakes that I will probably always have, you know, my Doomerals boa, my jungle carpet. Value, yeah. yeah, exactly. Like I can't let those animals go, but like all the extra stuff I'm, I'm trimming the fat right now, man. And it's cool. funny after we had that episode of snakes series where we talked about the whole diversity thing, like Dan Colgan messaged yep. me and he's like, you know, you're absolutely right. He's like, I've got some species yeah. that after thinking about it. I really, I, I like them, but mm -hmm. in terms of like enjoyment, it's like, I kind of, kind of don't like <laughs> you know and like, we all go through it like like i've said oh, yeah. you know the spring cleaning effect where oh, you, know, yeah. you, you just one day you wake up you walk in the room and you're like how did i end up with you and you mm -hmm. too and you and i mean it's no i love my brittles i've mm -hmm. said a million times how i've gone back and forth about whether or not i want to keep them or not uh, yeah you know so it's tough but the brittles are sentimental value for me to for me to want to part with them. Yeah, but. it was it was a hard realization for me to come to, man. Because you know I love all my animals. I, I really love each and every one, every individual. But you know it was just one of those things. I've got a lot, and they're literally like right off of my bedroom where we sleep every night. And I know I'm pushing the limits where we're at. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, I need to. I need to kind of figure out where I'm going with this stuff. And it's, it's cool to be able to say, okay, well, I've got the experience with, you know, all these different Morelia yeah. and the Bothercellus and, you know, I've enjoyed them, but you know, like, like everyone comes to that realization at some point, it's just not, you can't have it all. And it mm -hmm. was a really difficult thing. Yeah. I counted up my bears this morning. I have 14. And I'm, <laughs> nice. convinced, I'm convinced I need more. <laughs> Of course. I was just looking at them. I was just looking at them all this morning. I was like, there's not enough of you. <laughs> just, I'm either going to buy more or make more. Probably both. There you go. There you go. Especially if at Daytona, if Ron Allen's vending again and he's got more Bears babies for sale, I can guarantee mm. you I'm going to walk out with probably another pair. 
I'm see. I'm gonna be good. I got my pair that I'm very happy with watching them grow out and go through that color change. If I add any more in, they'll be Palmetto Coast Exotics babies. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I have my pair back together. I haven't had a shed from the female yet, so it's probably still premature. But I've yeah. been checking on them, and they've been at opposite ends of the tub. They want nothing to do with each other right now. Yeah. So, yeah. Whatever. <laughs> Next year, so this time next year is going to be when I'll really all my my smaller stuff will be ready by then. So nice. That's when Heck like yeah, the Loma, the Loma Altas will be going. Um, I have my male albino. I'm kind of deciding sort of what I want to do with him. I really kind of want to play with that a little bit, and mm-hmm. you know, if I put him in with some of the Loma Alta stuff eventually, and plug him in with some of the you know the Mexican stuff, what you know what kind of happens and. Sort yeah, of for sure. Exploring it a little bit. And... Yeah. See, that's kind of what I want to do with the subox, man. But mm-hmm. I'm having a hell of a time to find females, dude. Dude. I never. I thought, I thought finding female chondros was tough. Holy <laughs> crap. No one has females. And when you see them for sale, they're gone within a day. Like, yeah. Gone. I've got, oh, God. I think I, I have 3.1 subox right now. I've got 2.1. I'm right there with you. Yeah. Yeah. I've got. My my female is an uh, azanthic het for blonde, and mm-hmm. she I love her. I love the azanthic look on the subox; it's gorgeous. And then Silvers I've got awesome. I love the oh silver. yeah, beautiful man, beautiful snakes. And then I've got two male blondes and a male that I got off a of morph market, and he's supposed to be like a triple het blonde mm-hmm. azanthic albino. So I just want to see what you know what happens yeah. at some point, but I need more than one female. So yeah, I have my female. Anyone... I got my wild rose pass pair from Chris. Mm-hmm. Nice. And the female is a dick, dude. Oh yeah. Like, the males are super chill, but that female, she wants nothing to do with me. <laughs> That's she's funny. hardcore, man. Nice, dude. I don't think I've ever seen a subak like rear up or rattle its tail. Yeah, because yeah. you usually don't see. I mean, mine will rattle. Not at all. But my female man, like if I'm in there and she's out and I like open her tub and put my hand in there, she's automatically like ready to ready to go. That's wild, dude. It's so unlike that species. Yeah. You know, everyone talks about, you know, even the, the ones you find road cruising out there, like, oh yeah, you walk mm-hmm. right up and pick them up. They don't even seem to care, you know. Your female. <laughs> she was she's one of the like the like the Brettles. She's she's a five percenter. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And they're not even five so percent with subox. I feel like with subox it's probably more like two percent. Probably, you know, so that's crazy. They are awesome snakes. Those males, I love like holding them. I don't know, they're all they're just Mm -hmm. like velvety. I don't even know how to explain Mm it, you know. And you pull them out and you see them kind of do a little head tilt where they're clearly like looking at you, you know. It's just, ah, I don't know, there's something about them, they're just they're magical. They are like that's the one species. Like when I'm not home, my girlfriend will go and get out Mm -hmm. and just hold and spend time with, and I'm like. That's awesome because you know now you're going to be more accepting of my yeah. reptile addiction. <laughs> and I mean, I mean, even even my wife, I pull them out. She's like, "Oh, those are funny looking because they're all bug yeah. I'm like, "How can you exactly. be afraid of that? It's like the cutest damn snake on the planet." Exactly. They're it freaking really horrible because they it looks so mm-hmm. stupid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is crazy because the beaded lizards look totally stupid but you don't think they're cute (laughs) (laughs) they were like like a cute ugly child (laughs) beetles remind me of uh oh now what's his name 
the the homeless guy in Big Daddy who's got the crooked Steve Buscemi. Steve Buscemi, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's like beaded lizards in a nutshell. That's, that's I think I described him when we were talking in like the group chat uh, a couple days ago. It's like the lights are on but no one's home kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Like mm-hmm. you can tell they're they're operating, but it's like the bare minimum of like energy going towards thought. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Until they're mm-hmm. not, and then it's then it's on, you know. <laughs> but oh, man. their eyes, I mean, their their faces do kind of creep me out a little bit, just because they yeah. have like the weird. They have like the human eye kind of thing going on. It's just odd, yeah. mm-hmm. you know. They got like the it is. Like, moisture looking stuff. Yeah, yeah. They almost look painful. They kind of look like they're high all the time. <laughs> I think about it. Love it. But I'm, I mean, I'm excited. Um, I just need to figure out the Cajun thing, man. Like I'm at talking to Reed. I was under the impression that they needed a lot more in terms of uh, like feeding schedule and stuff. And mm-hmm. he's like, no, dude. He's like, they, he's like, they're they're about as close to a snake as a lizard can get in terms of. Oh wow. You know, upkeep and food and. Nice. You know, he's like, they're they're really not. They don't. They don't care, you know. Yeah. That's cool, man. I'm excited for you. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. Just gotta. If we uh, the problem is, is if we build something for them, figuring out a something that has decent like window wise, you know, like a, if mm-hmm. I have them back here, I want to, you know, I want them to be visible and I want to be able to yeah. see them when I'm in here, even if we're not recording and stuff but well yeah, for sure. i was thinking too is if you and reed build something couldn't you have brahms like make you a a, a portal for lack of a better word probably yeah i, mean, I don't you know could... well i think we might be held to that like quarter inch thick glass or eighth inch thick it's not thick glass so i don't know mm. that if, if one were to like put all its weight on that i don't know that it would hold very well the glass at least yeah. it's not it's well, not thick glass. How thick is vision glass? I don't know. It's got to be thicker than the what's on the portals. Really? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, and come to think of it, visions have a metal track. They mm-hmm. do. Yeah. They do. Yeah. And I think I don't think Brahms has any other sizes as far as the width. I think mm. what he has is what he has. So. Yeah. And I know, like, I'd want to use Plexi, but you know they'd probably scratch the shit out of it. Oh, yeah. It'll get oh, dude, yeah. It would get all warped. So, yep. and that's, it's just, like I said, that's why I wonder if I should just talk to Sean about two separate cages that I can somehow merge into one eventually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think that'd be cool, man. Just keep them separate. I don't know. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, my first my first venomous mentor had uh, a lone male beaded and he, it was in like a boa master cage or something like that with the, the acrylic front. Dude, you could not see into that enclosure, man. <laughs> I love Plexi, but I hate Plexi because of that. Like, mm-hmm. You look at it wrong and it scratches. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. Uh, my eyes are like all dry now. I think pollen season's upon us, boys. Oh, dude, my my white vehicle is yellow right now. Oh God, it's the worst. Pollenocalypse. <laughs> yep. Are you keeping the apodora? I, I mean, oh yeah. What's yeah, the, yeah. I mean, I, I know you you enjoy those. Are they as awesome as everyone else says they are? 
I really think so. Um, I, I, if we're doing an over under right now, yeah. I would. <laughs> if this was snakes and stogies and we were doing an over under, honestly, mm, I don't. I, I really love them. That's a that's a python that I will keep for the rest of time. But uh, there's a lot of hype around them, and yeah. you know, I'll, my lone male, he's cool. I don't know that he's as cool as everyone makes him out to be. And I, I might get some kind of approaching, that. They're, they're kind of approaching the Bowellens level. They are. They really you know, are. Where, like very few people have them. Everyone talks about how awesome they are and then everybody wants them. And yeah, I think they're definitely verging on that over overrated side of the scale, but don't get me wrong. I love my Apodora. I will keep him forever. Even if I never, get a female or two for him i will have him because he is he's awesome (laughs) (laughs) but um is he friendly yeah he's super he's uh cage defensive but when he's out he's totally chill like i've actually i've used him for training courses because we were just short on snakes and i needed something quick and yeah he's super cool man out of the cage totally fine nice in the in the in the cage if i'm servicing the reptile room for too long he's like all right get out of here he's gonna start striking at the at the glass <laughs> but get him out he's cool man nice awesome yeah yeah no they're cool snakes that's that's one that's one python species i'll definitely be holding on to they're another one they just look velvety like they look like satiny almost yeah it's just that fine scalation they look like they're they always look like they're made of clay to me it's always yeah. kind of how i viewed them yeah did you get yours as a baby or no no, I got him as a probably like juvenile juvenile size. He was four foot. He's pushing six now. He's pretty nice. cool. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, ba- uh, baby popped up recently, and I really, really thought about pulling the trigger on it, but it, it didn't make sense financially to do it right now. I know another baby will pop up at some point. Yeah, yeah. That's what I have to tell Especially myself all the time. It's not going to be the last the one for sale. Yeah. yeah. Yep. yep. And like, I would almost rather get, you know, a, a good baby from like Austin. Yes, exactly. Just getting whatever comes along. You know? Yep. Yep. Wait, because you know he's going to be successful. You know. Yep. Exactly. And just wait and get one of his prime babies. So. Yep. For sure. Yeah, I'm excited to see what Austin does with his group, man. That's I'm, I'm very excited to see what happens with that. Yeah. But um, yeah, and even going in that same subject, you know, mo- I'll say most of my Spilotes, I have no idea where the hell they came from. I've got one U.S. captive born and bred baby that came from Zoo Miami, and uh, but the rest of them, I've got like zero locality information. And I was talking to Jason Hood the other day, and after talking with him, I'm like, all right, I'm I'm done bringing in Spilotes. I need to focus more on people who are producing them and just get quality animals. Yeah. And who better to talk to than Jason, man? Oh, God, he's the Spilotes guy as far as he's, I'm concerned. And I'll be honest, I had no idea until Billy started getting into him. And yeah. Billy's like, dude, like, he, he has that one Mexican that he got from heaven. Mm-hmm. Uh, awesome animals. Awesome animals. Yeah. They're so cool, dude. That and then the the fry, uh, the Frinernax, those yeah. are absolutely beautiful. Like I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's something else. Maybe maybe at some point I'll get into those. But right now I'm very content with my Spilotes. I got I got two recently that were labeled as Mexicanus, but I I know without a doubt there's they're not Mexicanus. I'm pretty sure based on what I've read up on, I think they're Nicaraguan locality animals because they're 
super high yellow, very pretty animals. But you look at any picture of a Mexicanus online and they look nothing like a Mexicanus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I feel like that's one, that's a species where the most of the localities are very reminiscent of each other. Mm -hmm. That one locality that just slaps you in the face. Yeah. You know, that's it. For sure. Yep. But how many does Billy have? Billy has one or two. Uh, he's got, I think, three or four now. I think. Really? Yeah, because I know. Well, no, I know, the uh, the Pacillonotus. Oh, Pacillonotus. Uh, no, he's got more than that. I thought he's got like five or six. Oh wow, that's yeah, awesome. But I'm very interested to see how those progress as far as yeah. color and stuff. Hell yeah, they yeah. crazy change. They do. Yeah, and dude, watching them heat is crazy. Like you know, Billy has the wheelie cart in the room where he has like mm-hmm. all his equipment and tools and stuff. And mm-hmm. what he'll do is uh, he'll clean off the top. He'll pull out the tub that has the Pacillonotus in it. Or, and some of them are in uh, uh, PVC arboreal enclosures. Mm-hmm. He'll remove the animal and the animal's kind of like, I don't want to say cocked back like a mangrove, but like definitely like, you know, pulled into itself. Very like what's going on, you know, yep. and he'll put it on the table and then he'll go to tweezer over the frozen thawed mouse. And that thing just goes bananas it's the craziest show you've ever seen nice finally it gets it it is like hanging off the cart like an emerald it's, <laughs> it's crazy species that's so cool that's what did i have to do with that scrub sometimes he just as soon as if food's in the room man he's at the glass waiting and as soon as i open nice. that door it's mm-hmm. freaking on dude he's, he's a monster in personality dude. not in size <laughs> that's my pits anytime i'm feeding anything they're like at the glass ready to go <laughs> i want some northern pines like that's yeah that's, those are in the top three of next on the list of stuff i want you know just yeah. i just want to pair i just want to pair northerns they're so cool man especially like the uh, me personally i like the high contrast like black like the mm-hmm. ocean county locality new jersey pines i think those are beautiful like the the pits that i have they're all technically they belong to trc i'm just housing them for the time being mm-hmm. and when i found out we were getting a northern pine i was super stoked but it's uh as far as coloration goes it looks more like a, a bull or a gopher or something it's that tan dark brown saddles but uh I like the high contrast more than stuff. I would love to get some that are like from my area, you know, just like the corn. Oh yeah. Something about those and them coming from, you know, here that I don't know. Yeah, for sure. Just something I'm I'm particular about. But I mean, if I end up not being able to make that happen then Mm -hmm. happy with, with just Northerns, you know, there were some at Daytona last year that were really nice, but they seemed a little steep price wise. So I didn't, yeah, no, I, I feel that when I was keeping Florida natives, like anything that I found available that was Levy County locale, because that's where I grew up, I was like snatching it because same. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Lot, I can't put my finger on it. It's just there's like yeah. a, a sentimental thing to it. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. yeah. A lot of mine in the rodeo were Levy County locality. Nice. Nice. Yeah. You uh, in any of your travels, Derek, did you ever deal with Dofus or no? I'm sorry, with what? Rabdophis. No, actually, I have not had any kind of interaction. So, you know, Hen Dog Henry, he's all mm-hmm. about East Asia. And, mm-hmm. you know, he sends me so some crazy photos from some of his friends in Indonesia and Thailand and China and stuff. And uh, I started looking at um, 
the uh what the hell is it it's the blue naped or blue necked keelback mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's rhabdophis rhodomelis i think it is okay dude, dude every single time i see that snake it's amazing but wow. i don't know i don't know anybody who actually keeps any rhabdophis. Yeah. like you, yeah, see, some of, you see some of the rainbows from time to time yeah but like i don't know any and i've seen people import some rainbows here and there they put import mm ugly brown ones from time to time but like i don't know if it keeps them so i figured why well, i had john here to at least ask yeah no. there was that point where one of those species of that was was being brought in and kept by a ton of people and then somebody like got killed by one and then they were like oh wait we probably shouldn't be selling these to everybody really yeah no i don't remember that let me, figure, let me look up what species was it was probably the rainbow because i think the rainbow is the most toxic i think so so and i know like i i was looking at some people in europe that had rainbows and some of the uh, mm -hmm. I think red naped is what they call them and uh they basically just feed them exclusively fish and okay. after like six months the toxins are totally out of them okay. um but then i was also reading another thing where some people had difficulty with babies and they fed them frogs that were native to their area huh. and and it really it turned the toxin on Oh, so, wow. Yeah, so it didn't even have to be like frogs from Southeast Asia. It was just interesting. Yeah, yeah, don't hold me to that, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, I definitely think that it's super interesting. Every it time the, I see the redneck, the, uh, the redneck, sub miniatus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did they die from the poison or the venom? The bite. Like wow. they were, for whatever reason, it was, it was a while ago. It wasn't anything like recent. I'd have to go look. It's in the Dragon Traders book, I think. Okay. But they talked about how there was okay. a point where they were being brought in like crazy and everyone was keeping them because they, they weren't bitey or anything like that. Yeah. And everyone, you know, no one had been bit by one, so they didn't think anything of it. And then some someone got bit and died, and they were like, Oh crap, these things are actually pretty potent. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> that makes me wonder like if anaphylaxis was a was an issue with that. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Cause like I've actually heard of plenty of people getting messed up from the poison. Um mm -hmm. you know, and like species like the right rainbow for example i've heard people like getting violently ill from the from from physical contact with the poison but it was only in certain areas of like indo or, or, or melee peninsula you know while as something from say northern thailand same species it didn't really have an effect and again that could all be what the animals eat i guess yeah but hmm. i don't know i'm thinking about it i just don't know anybody that has them me so. either man me either and then I think of myself, I'm like, I just told you guys how I'm pretty much done with Southeast Asia and <laughs> focused on Africa and Australia. And then Henry pulls me back in. It's horrible. It's like, yeah, no, I, I, I know how it goes, man. Yeah. That's <laughs> it's right. Like me with me with the Ganya Soma. Like I told myself, all right, I'll focus on North and Central America stuff, but <laughs> Oxys, they they always get me, man. Yeah. They're I mean, they're they're like the Asian Spalodis. They really are. Oh. Yeah, dude. It's Spilodes are just crazy. <laughs> that's, just, that's a lot of angry snake, man. Yeah, it, is. it is. It is. I actually, so uh, last week, um, we taught a level one course at the Naval Air Station in Jacksonville. And uh, they requested that we go over some of the snakes they would likely encounter when they're shipped overseas. So, like, I put mm -hmm. together slides for, you know, all different parts of Africa, Asia, South 
America. And we were going to go over some different techniques than we normally would because you're not going to work a boom sling or a mamba the same way you're working a cotton mouth. Right. So, yeah. Um, I actually, I brought my Spilotes with me for that course and I was like, all right, this is the closest thing to a Mamba you're going to get. Nice. And, uh, it was, it was pretty cool. I think they all definitely enjoyed it. That's awesome. Yeah. That makes me think like the difference between Thrasops and Spilotes is the Thrasops doesn't want to bite you in the face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I'm, I'm just excited for, for like you and Billy because you guys are going to have gigantic tiger rats and I'll get to play with them and not, there you, know. <laughs> you know, I get to live vicariously. I love it. There you go. Yeah. No, I've been lucky so far. I've got the two, what I assume are Nicaraguan locality Pilatus. Um, they're supposed to both be females. I doubt they're both females. I'm just kind of letting them chill right now. Um, and then I've got um, 1.2, of just like your regular black and yellow Pilatus that are probably from South America. Mm -hmm. um, the one from zoo Miami, I think is like a, a, a mutt, couple different localities. And um, so far I've yet to take a bite. Um, so I'm, I'm doing something right. Good. Probably because I'm, I'm mostly hands off with them. Um, I've actually taken my, my playbook is from keeping them comes straight from Jason hood. I've listened to him on a couple podcasts and he's like Aspen shavings, and then I take some stuff from Cody and P. I'm like, all right, I'm going to jam it full of branches and then mm -hmm. throw away hides because they shit like no one's business. And uh, so far, it's working out for me really well. So. Cool, man. I love it. It's awesome. Yeah, that's that's what I do with the, you know, the Boiga and the Ganyasoma, man, is like yeah. pack them full of visual barriers and stuff and leave them be. And they do great. Yep. Yep. Actually, I need to add some stuff. I, I bumped the female Jansen eye up to a, a four foot that the female Chondro nice. was in, and I I got some some crepe myrtle branches. Um, but I I have a buddy that has some driftwood. I want to get a big piece from oh, him, yeah. and then I want to get another live pothos. Walmart has these nice, decent sized pothos for like eight bucks. Oh, hell yeah. so I, I buy those and I take them and I rinse off all the dirt and stuff they come with and replace it with mm -hmm. you know some organic soil I got and. Nice. You know, I've I have one of those in the scrub cage, and it's been exploding. Yeah. A ton of light and everything. that thing, like it's insane how much that thing is just booming. That's awesome. He doesn't even seem to care. That ungrateful bastard. You're <laughs> super course. proud of my pothos growing, and he's just like at the glass every morning, just sitting there in the corner, like, "What you got for me?" Yep, it sounds at about right. Every single show that you and I go do together. You have to bring up how much of a dick he's become, <laughs> and it's—I just—I feel bad for him. I feel like uh, maybe he just misses me. I don't know. He has a night—he has a four by two by two, right? And that's a—it's a black box, right? Yeah, yeah. You liking that enclosure? I love it, man. Nice. Um, so he has plenty of space to roam around. He's got some some driftwood and stuff in there and plants and a phylodendron varicosum, which is like an expensive phylodendron. <laughs> I, I salvaged from one of the frog tanks that didn't have anything in it. And you know, that's that's starting to grow some. So that'll be cool when that gets nice and huge and nice. He's not gonna care. I've actually I've honestly thought about switching and moving the scrub into that four footer down that he's on top of and then moving the female Jansen and I 
into that bigger tub because I feel like the Jansen and yeah. I will actually take advantage of most of that space. The scrub cruises at night, but during the day, he's in his hide and he ain't coming out. Yeah. So I'm like, the Jansen and I would at least use this. You know, the scrub doesn't care. Keep the scrub in the yeah. freaking rack and he wouldn't care. Yeah. So ungrateful bastard. <laughs> at least you know the scrub isn't sneaking out at two in the morning and ending up in your bed. <laughs> the black box cage is definitely more secure and I don't have to worry about her any, her or the male jailbreaking there I will say if you get Ganya Soma for the love of god dude keep them in something that you can either lock or that's <laughs> like sealed there's no escape routes that you can question because mother of god yeah. the, the female's gotten out once the male's gotten out twice Jeez. they are very good at it Freakishly good. It also helps if you so have a door wild. sweep on your room. It does help. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fortunately, the female, she just she went into the closet in the snake room and it's it's pretty chilly in there, and she just was curled up in the corner trying nice. to figure out what she was doing. I tell you what, the one species that gave me hell as far as escapes go, it's been a couple of years back now, but I had a juvenile doomerals boa like uh it was probably closer to a yearling and she got out all the freaking time and i finally realized what it was so i had her in a glass and like an exoterra with a screen top and i had a hole cut in the screen top with a one of those reptifoggers mm -hmm. down in it she would climb the background get into the hose of the reptifogger through the hose down into that water reservoir yeah, it was freaking I caught her doing it. And it was insane. Like this snake got out so many times and I just could not understand how until I caught her in the act. Well, you know and, what's what's sad now is if I'm just like trying to be as inconspicuous as possible and I'm looking around the house and checking closets and stuff, Kate yeah. is automatically like, What's loose? Yep. Yep. Like I try to I try to find it before she notices me looking. Oh yeah, hope that you that I'll find it and she'll be none the wiser. Because yeah. that's what happened when the Jansen I got out like a week or two ago. The female I was looking in the hall closet, and I'm not usually in the hall closet, so that was kind mm -hmm. of the first red flag. And then I was like looking behind things and kind of just very casually just wandering around the house, trying to be mm -hmm. not drawing any attention to myself. She's like, "What's loose?" She's like, "Is the Jansen I loose?" And that's that's <laughs> bad too. When she knows what it is, that's probably yep. yeah. Not only that, so, she knows the scientific name. That's the best that's amazing. part. Amazing. She's she's barred me from buying any more of those. Yeah. Because <laughs> these have come, like she, I I was because Henry was Hendog was sending me some videos of some Jansen and I that they had for sale. Oh man. And, uh, he's like, dude. He's like, do you have any you have any money on you? I was like, why? <laughs> he's like, sent me pictures. I was like, I showed Katie. She's like, no. <laughs> I was like, no, you're not getting any more. And what's funny is like. He's when he sends you that stuff, it's 50%. Look at how beautiful this animal is. Justin would love it. And the other mm -hmm. 50% is that would look so good in my freezer. Yeah. <laughs> Cause that's just like his sole goal in life is just to amass a freezer full of food. Amazing. <laughs> so, oh man. No, I'll tell you the worst, Justin, is when you're trying to convince your significant other to be okay with keeping venomous, but you have snakes that continually escape. Leanna has case. not at all. Leanna has found the rough green that I was keeping escaped twice. Um, my Apodora at one point, I 
was taking it out to feed it in like a Sterilite container. And I left it in there for a couple hours. And then when I went to go put it back in the cage, it vanished. It was totally vaporized. And uh, the, the latches are still on and everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, it was actually the past Daytona. I get a phone call and she's like, hey, you know, your escape proof room works, but I found the Apodora. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's mostly good news. Exactly. Yeah, right? Now we know. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, that was a rough, rough hurdle to overcome. So when I was living with one of my exes, this was many, many moons ago, and uh, I had the Venomous in my bedroom at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, the bedroom was escape proof per Florida, right? Yeah. And she made me get rid of my colony of hissing roaches. Oh, man. And uh, that was before they were illegal in Florida. And I had, a, mm-hmm. I had a good little colony going, um, but, you know, it takes them freaking 46 years to make a baby. So <laughs> it was it was slow, but it was steady. And she made me get rid of them. She says, you know, I don't care about the cobra at the foot of the bed, but I care about freaking cockroaches in my bedroom. And I was like, <laughs> all right, okay. So I said, we'll, we'll compromise. So <clears throat> at the time, I had a bunch of scorpions. Oh, okay. And uh, I had managed to get a trio of emperors, but they're from Sierra Leone. And they were gigantic. Like <laughs> they make they make Swamardami look like an appetizer. Oh, and hey. I had them in these little like like arts and crafts like utility drawers, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking it's a scorpion. Like it can't yeah. push the drawer open. So <laughs> I come home and she's like, You sold those scorpions? And oh, I'm like, what, what are you talking about? She's oh, like, God. the drawers are open. I assumed you sold them. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thought you were talking about something else. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and each each drawer was open like 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 six eighths of an inch, right? Oh like my God. just enough for them to weasel weasel their way out. So Jesus. so this was probably in like maybe May or June. And then mm-hmm. her and I wound up breaking up in like September. And then right around Christmas, I finally got around to like getting rid of a bunch of her shit and like moving stuff around. And I found one dead under the dresser. I found, (laughs) I found, I found the other two dead under the bed, but they were like fresh dead. Like they had been surviving in that room for months, but it just goes to show you that the room was escape proof. Yep. There you go. There you go. I want to get a door sweep on my room, but I worry that it's going to mess with the AC and it's going to, the AC is going to have to work harder and it's going to damage. Where's, where's the thermostat in the hallway. So then the room will be affected, but the suction real quick to get on my phone. Cause my laptop's dying. I'll be right back. Okay. The AC is going to work hard. Like the suction of no, I don't want to seal off the room. You don't have to seal off the room. It's not gonna, it's not gonna pump more than normal. Like this doesn't make sense. Look, man, I've I've had central air my entire life with all my snakes and everything, and the air vents in my venomous room are screened off and closed. So like the air still comes through. Like you put your hand there, you could feel air coming through. But I I limit the escape route, or I, I eliminate the escape route. Excuse so me. Pressurize the room and. Bust their eardrums. Oh my god! All right, whatever. <laughs> so, I'm gonna get one. Okay, you don't have to get one that like drills in the door. You can get one of the adhesive ones, you know. 
just stick it on I'm there. Probably gonna get one of the ones that just slides on with the little like bumpers on each side. Yeah, yeah, you do that. The like the ones. On TV ones. Yeah, yeah, as seen on TV, that's fine. It's better than nothing, man. You know? If I can even find them, I actually need to measure that door and see if it's like a standard size or not. Well, I think those ones, the, the normal door sweeps that I've gotten, you kind of just cut them to fit, like the right. adhesive stick-on ones. You just cut them; they're rubber, you know. Yeah. So. All right, back but, I mean, to beautiful you, people. Nice, nice. <laughs> uh, What's your thoughts on the thousand hours for like rear fang stuff, like boy gun, and whatnot? Does it seem excessive. You asking me? Yeah. Oh yeah, excessive for sure. You have to have a thousand for heliderma too, right? Yep. So the way I look at it is if you can handle an angry blue tongue skink, you should be able to keep heliderma. But see, I'll argue that. Okay. I'll argue that for, for, for two real reasons. I'm all yours, man. Reason number one, you get bit by a blue tongue skink, you're going to go, wow, that freaking hurt. Holy crap. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of blood. You get bit by a Gila monster, it's very different. Yeah. No, you, right? you are right about that. Sure. And and if your blue tongue skink happens to push open the screen lid and bites your six year old, mm, yeah, then your six year old goes, "Mom, the blue tongue bit me." If the Gila gets out and bites your six year old, that's the pain of visit. You mm-hmm. got you got a really really bad problem. Yeah, no, those you are know? extremely valid points. The- Derek meant in the terms of like the mechanics. Right, right. Now, yeah. do I do I personally feel that you need one thousand hours of hands-on God, experience for a heliderm? No, no, yeah. not at all. Do I think that you should be able to take, <clears throat> excuse me, two or three heliderm classes mm-hmm. and you know uh, uh, at the Rattlesnake Conservancy and be certified by them to do it? Absolutely, I think that's a that's a great. You know, you have a forty-hour course in the state mm-hmm. of Florida. You can get a security license in the state of Florida and carry a gun on a security job open carry like a cop mm-hmm. with a 40 hour course. Yep. But it takes you three years to amass the hours to have a Gila monster. It's insane, dude. That I, doesn't, that doesn't make sense. No, I, I, I agree with you. The, uh, the, uh, the only thing I have issue with is the hours requirement as right. far as all the other, like keeping. Oh no. Yeah. It's yeah. A, makes it's sense. a blue tongue. It's a yeah. blue tongue. Yeah. 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 But it, I, I, yeah. Gila derms and even Calubridae. I mean, in the state of Florida, like I understand, okay, maybe a little bit more regulation on something like a boom slang, but like if someone wants to keep Boiga, you know, a thousand hours is definitely over. Like I am, I when I renew my permit, I will be licensed to keep snakes that could kill me in like less than 30 minutes, but I can't have a mangrove. Like it makes zero sense that I can keep taipans and mambas, but not a mangrove because I don't have. 500 to a thousand hours of experience with them right just so but here's but just to play devil's advocate yeah you have you have two options you have two thoughts on that as well um thought a is they don't want florida to be guam right flat out that's that's a big deal for them they're terrified of that shit Mm -hmm. and the other thing is too is of the five species of colubrids that are considered potentially hazardous to humans venomous in florida Mm -hmm. mangrove or boiga is the only one that we kind of poo-poo, mm-hmm. but on a, on a on a toxins level, it's up there, man. You oh, know what I'm saying? Drop for drop, they're <clears throat> as toxic or more toxic than more rattlesnakes. The only right. thing is like the 
capacity. The right. venom yield is very yeah. low, but you're right, 100%. Yeah, and I think that's what they're looking at. I yeah. really do. I think yeah. that it's it's the Guam scenario, and it's the fact that on a, in a Petri dish, mm-hmm. the shit's nasty. Yeah. You know? Yeah, for so. sure. I mean, but it, it's I, I find it funny that you know, hydrodynasties is not regulated, but you know, drop for drop. If that's how we want to look at it, yeah, those are. They are, you know, their their yield is extremely small, but drop for drop. Once again, I'll compare it to rattlesnakes. You know, very very toxic, very comparable to most rattlesnake species. But whereas, you know, you might get a hundred milligrams from an atrox or something, you're only getting five from hydrodynasties. So nothing that's going to kill you. So they're unregulated, but the fact that you know, falsies, you know, you can go to any pet shop and pick up, but you know, it didn't back, used to be though. Really? See, see, you've, you, you, if you had gone back to say 2006, they okay. were banned. They were, they were a uh, venomous snake in Florida. Interesting. And, see, and that the, I did not know. Yeah. And the problem is, is that nobody knew it and they would buy them online or they would buy them from shows that were traveling from out of state. Mm-hmm. And, and then all of a sudden, someone would catch wind of it, and Fish and Wild would be like, "You can't have that." <laughs> and I actually, at one point, I was given a a, a pair of of big falsies, mm-hmm. and I contacted my venomous guy. And I was like, "Hey," you know, my inspector. I was like, "Hey, do I need to put these on my permit?" And he's like, "I, I don't actually know. Let me look it up." <laughs> yeah. And he he forwarded me the statute saying that they were venomous. And then, like four months later, he <laughs> sent me another email saying, "Hey, man, they changed it. Now it's just these five. And that was that was in 2016 when they changed the the hours. Okay, okay, hmm. that's pretty neat. So, but yeah, but you look at the other colubrids, and I'm sorry, but all the other colubrids, with the exception of maybe Rebdolphus, yeah, you, you, I think you should have the required hours. I do. Yeah. Oh yeah. Maybe maybe, maybe a like, thousand, but yeah, yeah. yeah. about like typus and stuff like that for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. No brainer, because that's like Telepornis and whatnot. Yep. You know, yeah. Yeah. Those are. It's yeah. serious. And to be brutally honest, not to be that guy, but Thrasop should be in there too, I think. <laughs> yeah. I'm honestly, honestly, I'm surprised they're not. Yeah. I'm if you're going to put Rhabdophis, you might yeah. as well put Thrasops. Yep. You know? So I'm surprised Phyllodryas is not regulated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's yeah. weird how they've picked, picked and choose and selected certain groups, but, you know, it is what it is. You're, I'm, I'll never talk down or talk bad about i try not to when it comes to florida fish and wildlife i've got friends mentors every a lot of good connections with florida fish and wildlife i'm pursuing a career with florida fish and wildlife so you know trying to stay stay a good boy but um yeah you know i I feel like the agency does have a lot of potential to do good and they do a lot of good but some of the decisions they make man it just makes you scratch your head yeah yeah they got the wrong people giving them the wrong information no 100 100 percent so, so what's in the future for you at the Rattlesnake Conservancy and them as a whole? Great question. So um, for the time being, I will continue to be the director of education and collections manager. And as we continue to grow and hopefully soon, I'm hoping by the end of March, we'll be able to open our public facility and do a grand opening event. And moving forward with that, that's just going to open up the door to a whole bunch of new opportunities for the rattlesnake conservancy. Cause I mean, right now I'm really proud of our education programs. You know, we've got the summer camps that we're doing our second year of this year. 
we are now opening an after school. We've started last winter, opened up an after school program called STEM Station. And even through the pandemic, we've continued to grow and expand our education department. And it's been awesome. And I continue to see that to just blossom and grow into a whole bunch of different avenues. Um, I look forward to maybe by the end of this year, be able to bring on one or two more staff members, which would be absolutely amazing. Um, I look forward to maybe offering some sort of mentorship service for people in the state of Florida who are interested in working with venomous reptiles or at least getting more experience, you know, having that collection, having people to be able to come in and gain that experience. Um, another thing that I really look forward to is we've developed a list of crotalid species that we consider crotalids of special concern being able to get our hands on those species and develop breeding programs and hopefully to work with SSP coordinators and AZA facilities. You know, that's a goal that I specifically have with the organization um, and being able to just produce animals for AZA institutions. Cause if you look at it, you know, not a lot of these zoos are reproducing, especially their native venomous rattlesnakes. And a lot of the populations are aging, maybe dying off in, within the next five to 10 years um, and obviously we want to limit the amount of wild collection in any way we can. So if we can produce quality captive born crotalis and provide those to, you know, quality institutions, that's something I think we should be really proud of. So a lot of yeah. really good things coming in the future with the rattlesnake conservancy, you know, continuing to do these courses. Um, I mentioned we did a class with the Naval air station here in Jacksonville. And I think, you know, we've already talked with Eglin Air Force Base, Fort Bragg, you know, maybe hopefully in the future having some sort of DOD contract. We've talked about, you know, going overseas and teaching at uh, U.S. military installations overseas about the native venomous they may encounter. You know, the sky's the limit with this organization. I'm, I'm very fortunate to be involved with it. And I'm excited to see where where we go from here because it's nothing but up, man. That's awesome. Hell Yeah. Hell yeah. And that Eglin, that's the one that Steve Irwin did the whole Eastern Dimeback thing at, right? Yes, that is. Dude, I have some friends that have been up there and they are supposed to have the most diesel EDBs you've ever seen on that property. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because I guess there's oh, also man. a section that's like, I don't know if it's owned by NASA or like it's attached to NASA. Mm -hmm. And uh, and apparently there's like some swampland in there that is hasn't been touched in, you know, 100 years. Nice. And supposedly the Diamondbacks in there are just to die for. Oh, man, dude. That's Paris awesome. Island here has a, has a healthy population of them, the Marine Corps Recruiting Depot. Oh, yeah? Dude, uh, I tell you, there's something about military installations and rattlesnakes, man. It's, I think just, it's because they're so undeveloped most of the time. There's nothing yeah. like the outskirts of most of these bases, like yep. the air station here. Yep. There ain't nothing out there, and, and no one can go out there. It's not like you can just walk on there and start looking around. Yeah. Yep. You'll have yeah. people pulling up in trucks on you in a heartbeat. Oh yeah, no well, doubt. It's, like, it's perfect because it's so undisturbed compared to everything. We've else. we've got a joint training facility like less than twenty minutes from my house, uh, Camp Blanding. There's also a WMA that's part of it, and the the EDB population out there is immaculate. And we're actually in works right now with doing a relocation study um, out there on that property because we don't have to worry about civilians getting out there and messing mm -hmm. with our our sample animals. Um, and what we're going to be looking at is basically how far can we relocate Eastern Diamondbacks to where they won't necessarily come back to where we moved them from, but they're still going to thrive. 
yeah. because long distance relocation is oftentimes a death sentence when it comes to most snakes, but rattlesnakes especially, they're very susceptible to that kind of stuff. And that's something I've actually I meant to bring up earlier that I was curious about is mm-hmm. like most relocations in general, like what's sort of the radius you're wanting to stay in. Yeah, so generally we tell people um, to try and stay within a quarter mile. Um, if that's not possible, no further than half a mile. Mm-hmm. The way I do relocations and when we talk about it in our classes, how I break it down for the students is if you get a relocation call and it's somewhere that's remotely rural or the the spot, whether it's a, a park, someone's house, whatever, if they are, they butt up to like a wood line to where there's a big tract of undeveloped land, something like that. Try to talk that property owner into just coaxing that snake to the edge of their property line, to the woods line, because mm-hmm. that's setting that snake up for success. And that can be tricky sometimes because most people don't want the snake anywhere near their house. But sometimes you're able to break it down and be like, you know, how many rattlesnakes have you seen the entire time you've lived here oh this is the first time you're likely never going to see this snake again yeah Um, so sometimes you can reach people like that um sometimes you can't and if that's the case usually what i do is okay i'll drive this snake from jacksonville i'm going to take it all the way down to ocala national forest when on all reality maybe a block down from where the house is i'm just going to let it go right there on the side of the road so given giving them that peace of mind and also doing the snake justice by not removing it too far from where you find it. Very interesting. Yeah, I remember yeah, there I was, was a... always been curious because I've never heard solid. Mm-hmm. Like you want to stay within this. Yeah. There's there's not a lot of research that's been published on it. Um, a lot of people out in Arizona and the Southwest area have been working with it more than on, you know, on this side of the country. Um, I know Dr. Matt Good has got some really good information on it. You know, Brian Hughes with Rattlesnake Solutions mm-hmm. is probably another really good resource for it. Um, and we're actually, you know, since we've started the branch out in the Southwest, one of the things we're working on is a Montane Rattlesnake Working Group to kind of uh, identify those kinds of issues. And it also goes along with ethical herping, which is a whole other can of worms to get yeah. into. But, um, yeah, the relocation stuff, it's really touchy when it comes to rattlesnakes. So we're trying to keep them as close as we can. But we also, you know, we want to know how far can we relocate these animals yeah. and not have to worry about them perishing. So I remember there was a paper a long time ago mm-hmm. basically saying how the eastern diamondback may be the most uh, diverse habitat of any reptile species because the same species can live in you know, arid brushland and, mm-hmm. you know, pine forest and swamp hammock and all yeah. these different, you know, palmetto heads. And I always wonder that because you hear about people moving the animal far away and you, you really don't know whatever happened to the animal. Right. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, do you think that, yes, they can have all these different ecosystems. Yes, they can thrive in them. But if it was born in palmetto heads, it's, it's slated to live in palmetto heads. So if I take a, an Eastern Diamondback and I put it in a cypress swamp, yes, there may be Diamondbacks there, but those are cypress swamp Diamondbacks, and this one's not, you know, instinctually designed to live there. Right, there's like genetically catered to... Yeah. Yep. yeah. No, I'm glad you bring that up. Me personally, I'm a very firm believer in microhabitat selection when it comes to relocations. I mean, exactly like you said it, if we're in an interior upland like a sand hill, 
I don't, I'm personally, I'm not moving that snake into a more wet, boggy, swampy area. I want to identify, okay, I'm picking this snake up. There are gopher tortoise burrows. There's saw palmetto. There's turkey oak. I'm going to move it somewhere where this same flora is, where the same refugia sites are. I'm not going to dump it in something where maybe it's unfamiliar with the vegetation in that area. Um, so me personally, I feel like that kind of stuff is super important. Um, even though, like you said, Phil, Eastern Diamondbacks, they're very, they're very general, uh, generalist, you know, you can find them throughout the state of Florida. You know, they, sw- they're amazing swimmers. They populated various barrier islands and keys off the Gulf coast, um, yeah. off the Atlantic coast. But, you know, I just, I'm a really strong believer that microhabitat is super important when it comes to relocation. So keeping sure. it keeping it keeping it like-minded so okay i picked this snake up on in a coastal system you know i'm not going to bring it a 50 miles inland and drop it off in a sand hill yeah right. yeah yeah the um has the trc done any research on um like general range of an individual animal um TRC, no. Uh, we have worked with the Jekyll Island Authorities Conservation Department in Jekyll Island, Georgia, uh, because they have been radio tracking Eastern Diamondbacks for several years now. Um, their head, the head of their department is on our research committee. And um, so we've gotten a lot of really good information from them. We actually have a children's activity based on their radio tracking. Um, and it's really neat. It's two individual animals, and we go over the course of an entire 12 months, how far, you know, they they ranged, how far they moved, and where they went throughout the year. Wow. And golly, man, even on a barrier island, the amount that these snakes are moving is incredible. Like, they're, you know, Jekyll Island's not that big, and they are utilizing really large tracts of land, and, you know, it's pretty developed. There's a lot of golf courses on Jekyll. There's a lot of touristy beaches. Yeah. Um, but they're utilizing a lot of it. It's really neat to be able to see, okay, they are going to brumate or hibernate depending on which papers you've read and what you believe, um, uh, for like a month or two in this one spot. And then, man, they're just going to travel through throughout the year and then end up back in that same exact spot to brumate or hibernate that went to that following winter. Wow. It's, it's so cool, man. It really That's is awesome. Mm-hmm. I think they've been doing radio telemetry with the population on Paris Island. Nice. Oh, I want to. It'd be awesome if I could do like a ride along or something there. You know? It's so much fun, dude. I, so cool. I love radio telemetry and radio tracking. It's uh, so I when I first graduated and started my internship with TRC, I got to go up to Jekyll and do a couple sessions just to learn how to radio track because that's something we're going to be implementing with this study on camp landing. Um, so I just needed to know how to do it, dude. It's, it's so cool to be able to triangulate the snakes and kind of, mm-hmm. all right, now I'm just, I know it's in this general area, but now I have to find it. And I'll tell you, this is an anecdote I use a lot when I'm educating people, but you know, I've walked, I've stepped on and next to so many rattlesnakes and they've never buzzed at me and they have never struck at me because they rely so heavily on that coloration and that camouflage, you know, and it's just, it's so cool, man. That's awesome. Has uh has has anyone in in your knowledge base done mm-hmm. any actual GPS tracking like they do with the great white sharks? Not to my knowledge. Okay. Uh, yeah, no. I think that would be really awesome um, to be able to just kind of record that data without necessarily having to 
trek out into the field and yeah. write it all down. Um, but I don't think anyone's done that yet. At least yeah, because snakes. Because I know like uh, uh, there's a couple. I know there's a couple thoughts that make it difficult. So mm-hmm. on those radio tr- transponders, those have to be surgically implanted, correct? Yes, they do. So so that's a big deal because now you're having to you know put put the snake yep it, 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 and and do all that surgery wise and then you know suture up and all that crap mm-hmm. but on the sharks they just they jab them through the fin right yep yep <laughs> but i but i know that there was somebody looking into doing it with a heavy bodied animal like a python or something hmm. and basically doing like a piercing okay and basically uh, almost like you uh, like an industrial in someone's ear you know, mm-hmm. where they, they go into one section, come out, and then, you know, it's capped on either end so that so that after the survey is done, you could unscrew the piercing, so to speak, and mm-hmm. the transponder would fall off. The only problem is, is that if the snake goes into shed, you uh, now yeah. you have you have a shed problem. You're going to have a high probability for infection because it's slithering through dirt, yep. you know? Yeah. So I know there was some people looking at that, but I didn't know if anybody had actually, you know, gone ahead and done it. No, and I know some other people who've tried epoxying uh, transmitters onto rattles, and to my knowledge, none of them have had long-term success because it just snaps off. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. For sure. The person who was doing some of the radio telemetry is uh, Emily Mosteller. Okay. She's from Marshall. So I I don't know. I say that's not ringing a bell for me, but I'm not super involved in all of our research mm-hmm. projects. I don't have the degrees for that necessarily. Yeah, <laughs> I'm My more of a. Next time, because it's you know Tony Mills. Mm-hmm. You do. I okay, know I, used to, I used to work for him. Um, okay. At one of the at the Low Country Institute, it's like my first job in high school. And uh, he's he's a host of a like an SCE TV uh, show called Coastal Kingdom, and I guess they didn't. Oh yeah, on the yeah, and yeah. They did. yeah. So I need to talk to him. He called me the other day, and I didn't. I wasn't around. My my phone was on silent or something, mm-hmm. and I tried calling him back. He didn't pick up. But yeah, um, definitely want to talk to him. And if they do that again next time, see if I can somehow get in on it. Yeah. For sure, I definitely do an article on the magazine or whatever. You know. Heck yeah, man! So it's cool. And I just love Eastern Diamondbacks. Yeah, who, yeah. It's who impossible does? not to. Yeah. Man. It's impossible not to. It's impossible to be a Herper and not love EDVs. Yeah. They're like the giant lifted truck of rattlesnakes. <laughs> the largest rattlesnake on the planet. I love throwing that out there. To Second people. only to Big Pun. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I don't I know, just, man. I just think it's crazy how, like, you know, every everyone says that every species is different. Every every individual animal has its own personality, but mm-hmm. for the most part, a lot of them share personality traits. Mm-hmm. But I feel like Eastern Diamondbacks, you can have one that is the most defensive animal you've ever worked with, or you can have one that's just like, okay, mm-hmm. feed me, it's time, you know, yeah. just be super chill and, a, and just a happy puppy, you know. Yep. It's just it's one of those species that's just so dynamic in all of its attributes. Oh yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Surely P and Cody have a picture of Big Pun somewhere. Oh, you would off. you would think. I know Cody's the worst about social media and posting photos, but come on, it's Big Pun. I'll I'll yell at him tomorrow and, and be like, send me pictures, dude. I've a freaking monster of a snake, dude. Phil, good luck. I've been I was I was yelling at Cody for months trying to get him to 
uh, fill out a form so we could be a vendor with a particular AZA zoo. And he was just like, <laughs> yeah, I'll get to for it. me to get an article out of him. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, okay, I'll get to it. I'll get to it this week. And then, yep. you know, three months later, Oh, I'll get to it this week. And it's just, you know, that's, that's the game when it comes to Cody, he's got so yeah. much going on, you know? Well, you know how like on Facebook messenger, it says if it's red, you know? Yeah. 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 So I'll, I'll message somebody and it'll say red. And then like, that person's a dick and they don't get back to me for a couple <laughs> days. But with Cody, it's unread. Yeah. So oh, like, yeah. I know it's, if it's been four days and he finally gets back to me, I know that he legitimately never looked at it because yeah. he's so busy building RPI into the mm-hmm. amazing creature that it is mm-hmm. that I don't even get mad when he's been that it took him four days to reply. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's just, you, you, yeah. you know what you get when you, yeah. you're with Cody. So I, yeah. I respect that. And I'm, I'm definitely super excited to continue to watch them grow and play my small, my small role in it. Cause it's just, I really believe in what they're doing out there and, yeah. you know, exciting things have been happening and are continuing to happen. And I'm not going to delve into that. Cause I'll let Cody be the one to yeah. announce all that stuff. But man, it's going to be so cool to watch that place. Just boom. it is, it is. I messaged him the other day about something stupid and, and he got back to me and he's like, actually, we're going to do this and that and this and that. I'm like, yeah. no way. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All I'm saying is next up is uh, me getting my croc hours. That's the next goal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. So, good shit, man. I love it. Yeah. Hell yeah. Well, where can people find you and TRC? Absolutely. So uh, the Rattlesnake Conservancy, we are on Facebook and Instagram. Instagram, we are at the underscore Rattlesnake underscore Conservancy. On Facebook, we are the Rattlesnake Conservancy. You can visit our website, savethebuzztails.org. You can reach out. Best name ever. Exactly. You know, we got wristbands that say it, Save the Buzztails. Um, you can find me on Facebook at Derek Dexter is my name. You can find me on Instagram, which is my platform of choice. If you're interested in my work with TRC RPI and just my venomous excursions, I am at Crotalis underscore cowboy. If you're interested in the animals that I keep, I am apex underscore arboreals. Love it. Well, we appreciate you coming on. No, thanks for having me. Short short notice. So, we, uh, we definitely appreciate it, and I am sure that this will not be the last time. I hope no, not, man. No. Boy, this. And you have to keep us posted for the grand opening so that we can yes. be there. Oh, know? for sure. No yeah. doubt. I man. will, without a doubt, drive down there. That is not That's not a far trip. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, and, and before I get off, I'm going to go ahead and announce it now. Get buzzed for Buzztails, the Rattlesnake Conservancy's annual fundraiser event. We are back this year. Yes. Fingers crossed. It's going to be in person again at the St. Augustine Alligator Farm, Saturday, May 16th. Be there. Support Rattlesnake Conservation. And if anyone who has made it this far into the podcast uh, wants to donate anything for our live and silent auctions, you can message me on any of my social media platforms and we can work something out. Awesome. Awesome. Sweet. Yeah, I'll uh, talk to Billy and see if we can get some magazine merch or something in there. For yeah. sure. Oh. Yeah. Awesome. Glad to have you on, man. Yeah. Thank y'all. Thank y'all. It's been a blast. We'll, uh, we'll awesome. talk to you later. Yep. Sounds good. Y'all have a good night. Good night. Bye.